0: What are your personal feelings on snakes in general? I mean, have you spent a lot of time around them? Uh, have you handled them? Uh, have you uh, given thought as to whether or not you'd like to be in a room full of them? I just kind of want to know. Like, what, what do you guys think about snakes in general? Let's roll.
1: I got a five. I got a ten. Uh, this is going to be different than the last UNT episode. Uh, apparently.
2: Uh, I finally win something. Um, do I have a problem with snakes? Not... In the slightest, I have zero issue with snakes, reptiles, frogs, any of that stuff. I don't have problems with spiders. Like creepy crawlies to me are not creepy crawly. I I attribute this to you and me being massive horror fans, and like the fact that I was also a Boy Scout. Like I'm just not afraid of.
1: Despite the last episode, you running from a rattlesnake.
2: Ah, uh, I mean, it's because I, mean, I understand. Fuck how, with it. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not sitting there like poking the bear, but I know enough about the natural world where it doesn't cause like
1: unbound terror in me i don't like a snake that is stronger than me that is all that's my only thing so like an anaconda or a yeah
2: amazonian python
1: well even a python that can wrap around your arm so tightly it'll break it Mm -hmm. i'm not a fan of that when i don't want to get overpowered i don't like sharks because they master the 3d environment i don't like spiders because they can be on you and you don't know it and it And I don't like snakes because they can be stronger than you. Mm -hmm. But inherently afraid? No. I don't like moose because they're bigger than me. I'm not scared of moose. I'm just not dumb. Yeah.
3: It's a Mimic, the Roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get.
1: Welcome to another episode in our conversation on mob mentalities, where we look at some of the hissing humanoids out there that can make up the enemy armies in Dungeons & Dragons. I'm Adam and with me of course is Dan. Hello. And this episode is called UNT Cults: Snakes and Adders. <laughs> very nice. Oh, so
2: that one you like, you are
1: fucking Oh, terrible. that's because my my 3-year-old
2: says the game exactly like that. Oh and, yeah, yeah, does yeah, he? yeah,
1: yeah. Um we've reached out to our army of friends and allies to help us break down what uh UNT Cult looks like in 5th edition. We covered the stats and details last episode of the UNT Pureblood, Broodguard Abomination and Malison. We even touched very briefly on kind of the priest breakdown that is available in the tomb of horrors or nope tomb of annihilation there it is um and we also got into some of the poisonous snakes that uh, fit into the world of the unt yep. post credits last episode but now we're going to get into some of the deadlier offerings in fifth edition as well as the gods cults and society sounds fun so one of the things that i love about the unt is while they are very cultish they do not have a pantheon in The traditional sense,
2: I really like this perspective, and it, for me, it's what sets UNT apart from all of the mobs we've done up to this point.
1: Yeah, I'm a little bored with cultists in general, and when I knew that they had an entire you know race built around cults, I went, Oh, fuck. But looking into it, it's, it's actually a lot deeper and more interesting. Yeah, the yuan cult isn't so much a religious
2: cult as much as it is like a personality cult of a sort.
1: Well, it's more like they acknowledge creatures who are more powerful than themselves, especially if they're snake-themed. Yeah. So from true deities to primordial spirits, it doesn't matter how these beings interact, as much as it matters that they can provide divine guidance and power. Sometimes UNT in different geographical regions will worship different beings than yuan in other regions, so not every single yuan civilization is the same.
2: This, this, this kind of throws me for a loop, because I don't see yuan as being divine.
1: They're not. Yeah. This is arcane power. They worship, but it's not religious. Yeah. Faith, their version of it, is a guiding factor based on power that individuals recognize, and not necessarily a devout or religious perspective. I'm not even sure that Yuan-Ti like their gods.
2: I, I They are, ev- like everything, they are useful.
1: Yeah. Now, they're the big three, and I'll get into those in a second, but there are some lesser beings that they still worship, including animal spirits, specifically, of course, snakes. Snakes. Um, heroes who have ascended beyond their mortal uh, coil. Is is this uh, like a hero above like an anathema, even? If there is a particularly uh, brutal malice or abomination who, you know, okay. had, if you tell legends, if you write poems and sing songs about this person, the Herculean kind of perspective.
2: Well, you said, you mentioned very briefly last episode that anathema are functionally immortal.
1: We'll get to it. Yeah. We'll get to it later this episode. They'll also, I did promise last episode as well that I would explain why they speak abyssal. Okay it's because they worship demon lords their three main gods are demon lords
2: that tracks like heavily right like just because a demon lord is basically a warlock patron let's be completely honest yep and you go to a warlock patron for power like you don't go to like hey can you help me with this thing no it's it, it's a power. It is a con. It's a we power we will
1: get into this idea of the warlock and the patron as we keep going. Cool. Here. Yeah. The other thing that they will actually worship is the divine servants of their gods, which is interesting because the divine servants will have more power than the mortals do on the mortal realm. They are all about gaining power. Cool. But the lizard brained and detached perspective of the UNT don't really allow for emotional attachment to their gods or their patrons, or religious figures, whatever you want to call them. right? We talked a little bit last episode about their lizard brain is not quite like lizard folk. Mm-hmm. There are still emotions, but it's very pragmatic, and it's... It's it's not mechanical. N- no, and it's, it's negative emotions, specifically. Even the worshippers of the big three UNT snake gods don't see the other religious practices or icons as being anything other than a quaint novelty. Cool. Yeah. So go right ahead and worship that snake being over there. We don't care. Our big guy is is way more powerful. You're wasting your fucking time. My corporation is better than your corporation. You got a mom and pop shop. Hmm. There is a useful table in Volos that lets you know which deities or beings would be worshipped by UNT in different settings. It offers options for Greyhawk, Dragonlance, Eberron, even real gods from Celtic, Greek, Egyptian, and Norse mythologies. Um, and it's really fun to see for inspiration. Loki is included as one of them, right? So it's a lot oh, of. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. Uh, It's a lot of manipulation and um, subterfuge and whatnot. Don't they mention that there was a one time in uh, their past,
2: this is mentioned in Thor Ragnarok, where Loki turned into a snake and bit Thor? Yeah. Yeah. Like, in Norse mythology, Loki turning into a snake is... Is a thing. It's a big thing. I mean, he's the father of uh, Jorgamer... Or Jorgam... No, Jormungandr. Jormungandr. Fuck. Names. Man, I'm... Those who listened through last episode, I apologize for my butchering of the English language. But we're not done yet. We're not
1: done yet. <laughs> uh, but anyway, like
2: you see, him being the father of the world serpent, this guy's got snake theme. It fits.
1: Yeah, and but it's not just that. It's it's anybody that is going to give them um, power over deception and uh, manipulation. Mm-hmm. They're not in it for the strength gods. This isn't about Yenagu's savagery or brutality. This is about working behind the scenes. Most of their gods are like that. Except for the big three. Okay. Let's get into the big three. Tom Hiddleston? No. Oh, okay. The first one is Dendar, who is also called the Night Serpent. She is said to have been birthed from the nightmares of the first intelligent creatures. And she feeds on fear. So she existed when elves were brought into existence. The first elves that had nightmares... Gave birth to this creature. Good
2: God. Just like that sentence alone sends my imagination running for full campaign arcs.
1: Look, I'll tell you right now, these things are are based in true um, world creation and apocalyptic um, scope that we're talking about yeah. here. And remember, they're proven to have existed. These are real things. This is not... This is not faith without um, evidence. Mm-mm. These are real creatures.
2: Yeah. I mean, if I get power from that thing, so that thing is real and my power
1: is real. Like, And she appears in my dreams and I speak to her and she showed up six generations ago. And like, this is a real fucking thing. Yeah. So, birthed into existence by nightmares. This is apparently something that happens all of the time in D&D. I mean, look at Kutoa. Exactly. Her followers try to empower her enough so that she is going to devour the world. This is the world eater for the Jormungandr. Yeah, okay. Who you spoke about, right? Some believe that she waits behind an iron door. And as soon as she's powerful enough, she will burst forth and devour the sun before eating the world that is cloaked in darkness. <laughs> That's metal as shit. Right? There's her- an Iron Maiden album about this guy. <laughs> So, her followers are the all-female cast of Malice and Warlocks called Nightmare Speakers, which we're going to cover later in this episode. Their modus operandi, however, is to threaten and torture, only killing when necessary. They want the fear. That tracks for yuan We mentioned that yuan have their
2: code where they would rather capture before kill. That tracks for this. Capture just to make you live a life of abject terror.
1: They... They are going to threaten you. You know we're going to kill you on any... All right. The idea of an execution date for prisoners is incredibly humane. As much as it would like horrify you as you get closer and closer to it. Yeah. The worst thing ever has got to be waking up every day and wondering, is today the day I die? And for their slaves, they would they would look at them almost every day and say, is today the day?
2: Yeah, they would remind... It's like that Family Guy episode where uh, Brian wants to pay back Stewie. And the entire episode, Stewie's just like flinching at every single thing Brian does. Of course, Brian's hamming it up until at the end of the episode, pushes Stewie in front of a bus or something. Like just as an
1: afterthought. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so the idea of fear is a big motivating factor.
2: Early Family Guy was great.
1: Anyways, but yes. Um, The next one, the next god is Mershulk, who is known as the Master of the Pit. His followers are special malisons called pitmasters, which is very original, master of the Pit. yeah, yeah, cool. pitmasters, there we go, and their job is to wake him because he is a slumbering god. He was the most powerful at one point. No one knows if he sleeps now because he has so few worshippers or if he has so few worshippers because he sleeps. Hmm. His pitmasters, though, can often wake him for short periods of time to gain insights and special boons, but he always returns to sleep. And the best way to wake him, lots of ritual sacrifices and murders, of course. The U T way. Yay. <laughs> so most of the followers are stoked these days because he's becoming easier and easier to wake up. And they say that when he finally wakes up permanently, he will return the U T to their rightful place as leaders of the world. Cool. So the last one is called Seth. There's two S's at the beginning of it. I think this is very close to Set. Yep. Who is one of the Egyptian gods, uh, one it, of the it, evil- is snake-headed, though, isn't he? Or no, is Seth- I, I don't remember. But- I'll look it up. Seth, who is also known as the Sibilant Death. Of course he is. Do you know what Sibilant means? Uh, the Sound, yeah. Yeah. It, it means that you hiss. Yeah. Um, anyway, he appeared as a winged Yuan-T, which is unheard of, um, just as the Yuan-T empire began to fall into ruin, and he was worshipped as Mershok's avatar- for a while, he did not disillusion his followers of this notion, and so he gained more followers and gathered more strength. And now that Marshaug has fallen asleep, they worship him primarily. It doesn't say this anywhere in the lore, but I would have the flying snake from the monster manual be all over his worshippers. Oh
2: yeah, one hundred percent.
1: I also like how he is
2: a powerful deity by not really controlling and uh, being warfaring or whatever it is, just by omission. He's all like, uh, yeah, totally. I'm totally related to that guy. It's, it's like uh, the road to El Dorado. Yeah, yeah. Not today. Not today. The, 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 the stars. The stars. What'd you find for Set? So Set is the... Uh, uh, Broad strokes, dang. You're getting a model. Yeah, on. he's the jackal-headed uh, god. Of course he and is. god of war, chaos, and storms. Yeah. So not snake-themed at all, but... um
1: I mean... I guess there's nothing beyond just the spelling of the name that is similar here. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, back to Seth. His followers are Malisons that are called Mind Whispers, And they focus on infiltration, ruling governments from the shadows, and enacting their wills upon populaces, just like Seth did. Yeah, okay. Remember we talked a lot about purebloods and whatnot mm-hmm. that are infiltrating? I expect a lot of purebloods worship um seth yep but it's the malisons that are really gonna be able to uh to enact their will these mind whispers as someone who edits a podcast this guy's name is problematic why
2: the hard s's are pain in the ass when it comes to editing
1: yep (laughs) so the followers of seth uh, are contrarian arrogant and full of schemes to make people question themselves and their decisions he and his worshipers love sowing discord.
2: This guy sounds like the worst of my friends.
1: You're welcome. So the idea of worship is that most UNT want to gain the powers of the being they worship and then supplant them as a new god. You mentioned that briefly last yeah, time. Yeah. Um, the gods themselves understand that they have a balancing act of keeping as many worshipers as possible while not losing the upper hand. And they do this by making promises, telling lies, and obscuring the truth. Which is why the yuan also follow those methodologies. Yes. A lot of humans also worship yuan gods. They're seduced by the ancient power and the ability to even be transformed into Yuan-Ti purebloods by dark rituals. They're usually willing to die for their cult, and they often become open religions in different cities and societies, sometimes gaining legitimacy in other cities by offering healing, absolution from guilt, and hedonistic delights to those who come and worship with them. They are seductive cults. Yeah, but they do not hide that they are a yuan ti cult made of humans.
2: Well, would they hide? I I know they they wouldn't hide that they are a open cult of a snake god. But would they be open cults of yuan ti specifically?
1: Absolutely, they absolutely would. Like yes, well we we hope to ascend to become yuan ti one day.
0: Hmm.
2: I would I would have these guys put a lot of propaganda into the town where the UNT aren't really that bad. Like oh, they were a great civilization. Look at the things they used to build.
1: They're going to return to the grandiose nature of their ancient ways. But you will never see any UNT in the cult. Yeah. Even the um leaders they will converse with the pure bloods, but they are not there's no pure bloods in these cults. Mm. So these are these little insurgencies that crop up in Waterdeep and Baldur's Gate, the, the ultimate like
2: fan, uh, fanboys, like,
1: yep. And what are you going to do? You're going to persecute them for their religious beliefs? Yikes! These are incels. I wouldn't quite go that far. They're Scientologists. Don't sue us. <laughs> the original ritual that launched the entire society of the UNT was based on human sacrifice and cannibalism. In fact, it's thought that. It was the first act of cannibalism by an intelligent species, and that's what corrupted the bodies enough of those original humans to allow the dark magics that are necessary to transform them into the snake gods.
2: Would you say that it was like a party of humans in the, the original Like day? the Donner Party? Yeah, right? Like they got stuck in a jungle somewhere.
1: No, I think this was very much done on purpose. We worship snakes. Snakes will eat their own. We will eat our own to become more like them. And then Dendar and Marshalk went, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, cool. Um, so, human cultists will still actually eat the flesh of other humans. So, they may one day ascend to becoming a Yuan And it's part of their ritual to become a pure blood. Yeah. But in most Yuan settlements, the actual Yuan prefer to sacrifice humans as opposed to eating them. True, UNT will, however, eat their weakest members in time of desperation, and have been known to consume their exalted heroes as a form of tribute. Sometimes, although most UNT are buried or cremated. This tracks with like lizard folk
2: as well, because lizard folk kind of do the same thing. Just lizard folk do it for a you're dead now, you are now food. That is the only purpose. You, you have serve.
1: gone from Jeff to meat.
2: Yeah, right. And there you go. But these guys are. It's not out of a act of saving the uh or or finding use in the in the corpse like it is with lizard folk with these guys it is an act of reverence and yeah. and a with with the possible hope of maybe gleaning some of that power you know how like absolutely like the heart yeah. of the brain yeah it's that same level of stuff
1: now it does say that they're going to be buried or cremated i'm going to say mostly buried because they do have a real undead feel to them we talk a lot about egyptian when we talk about um UNT because we we talk about pyramids, but all of the artwork and everything else that we see about t it's all ziggurats. Yeah. It's all these stepped pyramids. So it's like that. It's that amalgamation
2: of Egypt and.
1: uh I, I would say the only reason it's Egyptian at all is because the asp is so closely yeah. tied to Egypt, and so is the cobra. Whereas I would say that thematically with the ritual sacrifice and whatnot, that's Incan? the Aztec, oh, yeah. Incan, and Mayan whitewashing that we have been fed yeah, right yeah so when, when we were told of these savage peoples with their ziggurats deep in the Amazon jungle that's what they fed us when the explorers came into looking for El Dorado and the City of Gold and
2: yeah all it's the shit. second time we've mentioned El Dorado
1: yeah but <laughs> well it's, it's very tied into the, this yeah. theme here right yeah. so yeah um, I'm not saying that's how it actually is in on earth, but it very much is the inspiration. That kind of nightmare propaganda of look at these evil things this evil um I, I mean, civilizations was, doing. That's true of you, Auntie.
2: Well, and we look at like the Quetzalcoatl, right, which is a direct pull from Mayan or Incan or or um Aztec. Aztec. Thank you. I think it's specifically Aztec, funny enough. Uh lore. That's what the Quetzalcoatl comes from. It's a monster that you play yep. In this, it's a god of their culture back in the day and it's a sn- flying snake god. Yep. So
1: like it... it- like there are definitely some parallels some yeah. inspirations here. When we look at the UNT cities, we can also see the influence as well because they're often thousands of years old and they're very reminiscent of ancient human architecture, specifically pyramid and ziggurat structures. Most of their buildings are built to be like this to some degree. Yeah. They're covered in snake carvings and etchings, And they're also magically warded to keep people from climbing them, which is really neat.
2: Like the outside?
1: Yeah. Why? Because it's a giant... I will explain what these structures' function are and how they they work. You don't want people climbing up to the summit. Okay. There are important things that happen at the summit. Okay. So you have to go through their shit to get there. Um, So this will be a defensive reason that they do this. I I just see like
2: your party sends the one NPC or our animal companion. Just see what's at the top. Like your ranger has a pet monkey. Send the pet monkey over, and it just evaporates the second it touches the top. Stones. I don't think it's
1: quite like that. I just like it triggers a grease spell. Like it's magical wardings.
2: Oh okay. I I I went far too violent with it. I guess. Cast uh, disintegrate. <laughs> just turns to dust. Oh shit. Um.
1: Anyway, so we need to go re. Uh, Re-summon Zazu. Uh, one of the interesting things about it too is that it's absolutely full of holes, both inside and outside, which allow snakes to come and go as they please. They pass through all buildings all the time. There's a certain amount of Swiss cheese to yeah. all of this. You
2: mentioned this briefly last episode too.
1: One of the things that I want to point out, it's not mentioned anywhere, but if I'm designing this, I was thinking about this. You have these entire this entire civilization is based on deception, and yet you have rooms that have open airways to be able to hear through all of the time. I would make it so that every one of these holes, um, these tunnels, these passages for snakes to move, winds so that you cannot see through, light doesn't come through, and you cannot peer into the next room. And I would also have them magically warded so that noise does not pass from room to room, except through open archways and stuff.
2: Or it's one directional.
1: Yeah, that that's cool too. I like that. Yeah. But I would make it like these guys... They've got some arcane magic. They're going to use it appropriately. Yeah.
2: And they're smart. We've established last yeah. episode that one are incredibly smart, and the design of their cities would follow that trend.
1: Yeah, which is why you're going to see a lot of ramps and stuff as well to allow snakes to move yeah. uh, around. And keep in mind, a lot of them have snake bodies, so stairs are going to be problematic Oh yeah, as well. Um, you're not going to see a, an abomination climbing up on his hands up a bunch of stairs.
2: Oh, no, no. He's
1: Uh, going to slither up and he's... uh, Well, we see there are some snakes who could just climb sheer uh,
0: vertical surfaces. But but
1: why would they expend the effort to do that? It doesn't say it anywhere, but these are cold-blooded creatures. They're going to reserve their energy where they can. Yeah, that's fair. They do have paved roads. They have freestanding columns, gardens, fountains, and statues. And it is very beautiful. It has been upkept. If there is an active civilization still living in this temple, then it is very beautiful and ornate. The cults and human settlements, though, tend to rely on the architecture of the city they're in, although they're reminiscent of thieves' guilds and cult headquarters, obviously. Oh, yeah. Right? The most prominent structure in a UNT city is going to be the proper Pyramid. That tends to be temples or places of communal gatherings. You're going to have many of them throughout the, the city. Even their smaller structures will be two or three levels of a pyramid. Yep. You can expect to find a number of sections. I'm going to break down the ones that give us envolas. The basic level that you walk in at ground level is the cultist level, complete with shrines, living quarters for cultists. Hidden entrances and a guard room. This is not the human only cult that we got before. These are the slaves that have found the truth in Dendar, yeah, okay. or Seth, or one of them, right? And so they have been converted, but they're not Yuante yet.
2: I, I like I like that perspective of a Yuante is going to call a cultist a slave. Yes, a cultist calls themselves a cultist. <laughs> like I don't yeah. think they'd be like. They might say, I am a slave to the will of Dendar, and the Yuan-Ti Pureblood goes, yeah, yeah you are.
1: Oh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, seriously, though, they might, because you have um, this kind of warlock-patron um, relationship, and when we saw that with the goblins, they were straight-up Buyog slaves. Yes. Right, so it could be a very similar thing again. Um, but I, I think you're right, for the most part. They're, they're going to be like, no, we're... We're just really devout guys. We're we're team players. Yeah. Right. Um, beyond, um, except for Jeff over there who got turned into a brood guard. Fucking Jeff. <laughs> um, <laughs> you Jeff. But uh, the next level above that is a pure blood, pure blood level. Right. It is directly across from the pure Crips level. <laughs> Fuck! I hate you. I hate <laughs> you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> one's red. One's blue. Yeah. Um, the cultists are not allowed to enter this level. Okay, the only non-UNT allowed here are slaves and hostages, and this level has separate entrances and exits for UNT to come in so that they don't have to pass through the cultist level. Yeah, they don't want to mix with the rabble. Exactly. They also have living quarters for slave masters, cages for slaves, and the main room in here is a massive torture chamber. This is the literal dungeon of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. When you go into the long abandoned ruins underground that has been forgotten. You're going after that golden idol and whatnot. And you come into the horror show room, the dungeon. It's a yuan T torture chamber on a pure blood level. Cool. So this level also has stairs inside the building that lead up to the abomination level. The abomination level houses a huge meeting chamber surrounded by living quarters for the abominations. Above them on the next level is the Malison level, which focuses on worship and houses libraries, ritual chambers, and living chambers. You'd think the abominations would be higher up. Yeah, I'm sitting here like abominations in their culture are above Malison's, but... It's not about rank. It is about keeping the abominations as central as possible. Okay, cool. It cannot be attacked from the air, Or from the ground. They are the most protective in the heart of their pyramid. Cool. Yeah. I I was wondering about that for a second. Yep. And then above them, at the very top, you'll find the Temple Mount. This is why they don't want people climbing. Because you can only access it by exterior stairs out from the Mallison level. Okay. So there are ways into the Mallison level from the outside. Your Aarakocra can get right into the Mallison level. I mean, but then they'd be in the malison level by themselves. Oh yeah, they, they will and die. Don't do that. Yeah,
2: yeah, uh, yeah.
1: Snakes eat birds. Yes, yes. Um, so you can only access it by the exterior stairs. There's no way inside to get up there. And this is the plateau atop the whole pyramid where they do the large viewing area where they can have the uh, the ornate altar where the most important sacrifices are made. This is where you would make your anathema. Yeah. And, of course, all of these areas have poison-based traps everywhere, usually on doors and chests and fake ornaments that might attract looters. looters. Oh, I like that. Right? So, like, there are all sorts of... Uh, what... I just find a box of gems. Who grabs them first? <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing is that they are known in the lore to have perfumes and uh, floral scents to mask the uh, poisons and toxins, the clouds of poison that hit. So you will not know that you have been poisoned. You'll smell something sweet. And then three rounds later, start vomiting. Make a wisdom save. Yikes. Constitution save, probably. Uh, yeah.
2: So <laughs> Wisdom save is a different kind of poison.
1: Yeah. So um, I like the idea, too. of See, I, I said wisdom. I was thinking charisma. Because I really like the idea of them having poisons that would give you that idea of you are easily suggestible.
2: Yeah, th- like, it's the r- thing about yuan T that I really love is, unlike all the other mobs we've seen so far, they are incredibly subtle yep. with a lot of their things. I mean, their rituals themselves, definitely not. Those are queen of the damned level pools of blood and and body horror stuff, and yes. Yep. But for the most part, in their schemes and plots and and patience that they have... They are incredibly subtle. And, Will, they would want your party to die without them having to ever draw a physical weapon. Yeah. Right? If they just sit there and you storm into their last room and you're all on half hit points already. Uh, your barbarian's rolling disadvantage on everything because he's got four levels of exhaustion. Based off the poison and all the stuff that's been happening. The, the, they are the death by a thousand cuts Absolutely. Right? So there's never going to be the direct confrontation. Then you're gonna bust in and going to be like, oh, you're you're here. Okay.
1: Sit down for a minute.
2: Yeah. Right? And then your party does before they realize what's happening.
1: They're like you on T are really scary. Yeah. So I, I fucking love
0: them.
2: I, I think they drilled this home with Jarau as well, that that level
1: of arrogant um superiority. Yes, but they don't have the mind powers to back them up. Yeah, whereas you want to do. Yeah, and if you look at things like a Mind Flayer colony as well, they've got the the ability to manipulate your mind to get you to do what you want, but it's not seductive. They just dominate you.
2: Yes, they just overpower your will. These guys
1: want you to believe that you're the one that made the decision to take a seat. Speaking of domination, before we get into Terry next, let's cut away to something really quick. Hello, lovely listeners. Or as I like to call you all, my NPCs.
2: Damn it, we're recording a commercial. Right. For those of you who aren't aware, we're currently in the middle of a massive project called The Many Roads to Amelia, where we're continuing our Call of Cthulhu series. Adam has been working tirelessly with a number of people to bring different kind of
1: actual play to you guys. Or NPCs. Stop that. Oh.
2: As I was saying, from October 2020 to October 2021... That's 13 months. ...on the 13th of each month we'll be releasing a single episode of our homebrew saga that lays the groundwork for our next miniseries. Adam has taken over as the keeper of Arcane Secrets, allowing me to join all the other players on this bizarre and horrifying ride that Adam's twisted mind has come up with.
1: But here's the fun part. Each of these episodes is a one-shot with only a single player. I've massaged the rules to make it a little deadlier and secretly worked with each player to craft each separate story to be radically different in plot theme, pace, and tone. That means that the players have no idea what the others are up to, or what parts of the clues or overarching story the others may know. We're not
2: even allowed to listen to the episodes as they get released, so we'll be going into the next miniseries
1: completely blind. This is exciting because it gives us the unique opportunity for attentive listeners like yourselves to actually know more about what's going on than the players do. That means that you can sit by and listen to all the voices from the Deep Dark of Radiance return, mostly with new characters, and you might be able to put the pieces together in ways that the players won't. Also, there's the threat that if our character dies or goes insane in our one-shot, we
2: won't be invited back for the next series. That's keeping us paranoid, curious, and
1: sometimes reckless, and desperate. So, tune in every month to listen to me and either Dan, Terry, Dave, Megan, or Mieka, or Brad, or the five new voices, as we whittle down the list of survivors and take a look at what mysteries and horrors are slowly unfolding in Northern Canada, Southern America, and Subterranean Egypt. (laughs) There are many roads to Amelia, and you are invited to walk them all with me over the next year. Just check the It's a Mimic feed on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode on the night of the 13th each month.
2: Until then, let's jump back into the episode. So uh, can you give me a hint because
1: I'm recording this commercial with you? Yes, I could, but I won't. I hate you. I know. All right, so Terry is in the Green Dragon Inn, where he's been for the last few episodes, and he's going to be covering the Mind Whisper, which is a Malison that specifically has a humanoid body and the head of a snake. Cool. This is typically a Type 1 Malison, and these are the ones that worship Seth.
4: Okay, thanks Adam and Dan for passing it back over to me. Still over here at the Green Dragon Inn having a couple of wobbly pops. And today we're talking about Yuan t Mind Whisperers. I like these because I like a good long-term bad guy. Doesn't even need to be your main BBEG, but a good long-term bad guy. Yeah, it's great when you have those combat encounters in and out, flash your abilities, looks like a snake, whatever, couple of spells and off you go. But I like that exploration pillar that gets overlooked. A little bit roleplay with this if you want to go down that way, but ways in which... This creature can cause damage in different ways over time. And let me explain my point here. Yonti Mind Whisperers are uh, Yonti that have entered into a pact with their serpent god, Seth. One of their primary roles is to convert people to their faith, but also they operate in that Game of Thrones intrigue kind of manner. Very little finger, you know, a snaky kind of little finger. Uh, where they'll play two sides off against each other, get what they want from one side, get what they want from the other side. They're in and out. Nobody ever really knows whether they're friends or enemies. Sometimes it seems like they're scratching your back. Sometimes it seems like they're screwing you over. But they could be a powerful ally if you play it right, but they could also, you know, it's, it's smile to the face, knife to the back sometimes with these guys. But that makes for such a great character, such a great NPC to have floating around, where there's going to be times when you know... You need them. You just gotta watch them like a hawk. Let's take a look at their stats, and then we'll talk a bit more about how we can use them. So, so, Yuan-T, Mind Whisperer. Medium monstrosity. They're a shape-changer. Neutral evil. Okay, neutral evil. I'm not gonna bang on about this a lot, but neutral evil for this one, I, I didn't agree with completely. I'm sure some of you are out there rolling your eyes and screaming at the internet as to why it is right. But I see an agenda with these creatures. I see a particular methodology um, I see um, strategy with how they operate, and that for me leans over to lawful evil. AC 14, natural armor. Hit points of 13d8 plus 13, averages out at 71, speed 30 feet. Stats here, strength, dexterity, and con, higher, like higher than average, somewhat higher than average. You're looking at strength being the higher of the three here, it's, it's 16. I understand that, sure. Intelligence is going to be fourteen, so well above the average of a of, of a human like you or I. And this is important because when it comes to problem solving, strategizing, tactics in the moment, even this is where that they're going to have an advantage. So this gives you an excuse, DMs, to really flesh out this character and think about their strategy over time, have a a plan, a backup plan, a plan C as well, because this is how they're going to operate. They're going to be qualified problem solvers. Wisdom is above average as well, not as high as intelligence, but that means they have a great understanding of the world around them. And charisma is also well above average at 16 here, so that means that they... They understand people, they understand how to intimidate them, how to persuade them. They understand likely what you're thinking and they'll have, they have emotional intelligence. It's not that they lack social intelligence, not at all. Saving throws wisdom and uh, and charisma, uh, skills, deception, stealth. Damage immunity is poisoned, yep, con- condition immunity is poisoned, of course the UNT. Senses, dark vision for 120 feet, okay, go nuts, donuts. Okay, um, and this penetrates magical darkness. The reason I can get behind this is because they've made a pact with Seth, and so it it does make sense for me, especially with a yaunty background. I can get behind it, just um, just know it as the DM and use it to your advantage, and uh, and make sure that it's not going to create issues with your players that may, might see it as a bit game-breaking if they're a bit sensitive passive perception 12 okay languages abyssal common draconic challenge rating of four let's look at some of these abilities here because they're good shape changer so this yuan t can use its action to polymorph into a medium snake or back into its true form its statistics are the same in each form any equipment it's wearing or carrying isn't transformed if it dies it stays in its current form this is an important skill to have it makes you much more much more versatile it, this may not be in combat, there's times sure when you can use it, but understand that this is an option for this creature in living its everyday life. It, it does help it um, c- camouflage itself, you know, in the wild it helps it move around more subtly than walking around in its, in its humanoid form. This creature is going to have innate spellcasting and in its Yuan-T form only, I'll point out. So the Yuan-T's innate spellcasting ability is Charisma. That gives it a spell save DC of 13 with its stats. And the yuan can innately cast the following spells requiring no material components at will. Animal friendship with snakes only. Yeah, it, it's a yuan mind whisperer. I imagine that it should have the ability to for, for animal friendship with snakes. That makes sense. Three a day. Suggestion. Remember, we're looking mind whisperer here. This is an intrigue type creature, manipulation. These are essentially like sleazy marketers of of what they do. It has magic resistance, so the UNT has advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. I like that. It's important. It's making this uh, it's making this creature a little bit difficult a little bit harder to deal with you got to think outside of the box now because if you're just going to what your spellcasting character is always good at and that's just the the thing if you're always playing charisma because you're a charisma spellcaster you got to think outside the box here mind fangs two a day so the first time UNT hits with a melee attack on its turn it can deal an extra 3d10 psychic damage to the target I like this because it gives it versatility you know, I was saying use this creature in more of a, a long-term story arc kind of way, but there may be a time you're going to get into combat with it, particularly if you decide that it's not your friend. Uh, and I think you would maybe go spell casting first as a combat option. You're definitely going to have a couple of minions around to protect you, but it's important to note that you do have that psychic damage you can cause with melee attacks, um, especially because you know it may be the barbarian that's coming in to deal with you. So spellcasting yuan form only, uh, the, this Yuan-T variant of the Mind Whisperer is a 6th level spellcaster and it's uh, Charisma, we said DC 13 earlier for its spell save DC, and plus 5 to hit with spell attacks. So cantrips at will, Eldritch Blast with a range of 300 feet and a plus 3 bonus to each damage roll. Friends, Message, Minor Illusion, Poison Spray, Crested Digitation, all of that lines up for me. Already we can see a way, or I can see a way that I would maybe be using this character for more manipulation and intrigue when I see spells such as Friends, Message, Minor Illusion, even Prestidigitation at times. First to third level. So this this, uh, this spellcaster gets two third level slots that it can use for any of the following spells. And these spells range from first to third level. Charm Person. Shocker. Makes sense. Crown of Madness. Love it. Detect Thoughts. Important. Expeditious retreat, fly. Yeah, sure. out Why not? Hypnotic pattern and illusory script. You see what we're doing here. Uh, most of these spells are, are suggesting that you should be using this creature for manipulation, manipulation in in whatever you want. But get creative with this. There's, if you're just thinking pure combat, there's better yuan options for this. This is this is a great long-term NPC to have in your campaign. Seth's blessing. So when the UNT reduces an enemy to zero hit points, the UNT gains nine temporary hit points. Sure, that's great to have. For actions, we've got multi-attack. This is in the UNT form only. Um, One bite attack and then one scimitar attack. So the bite attack, 1d4 plus three piercing damage, plus 2d6 poison damage, don't forget about that. Scimitar, I mean, scimitar is like the traditional weapon of UNT, right? But if you you have a reason why you want to change it, just change it. It's totally fine. 1d6 plus three slashing damage. So... A great creature. I'm excited to do a UNT campaign because I, I would like to use one or two of this creature type to, to drive the arc and to give maybe a first tier big bad guy to deal with. Um, I think it will be exciting. I think it will be a real big challenge. This would be great with newer players when they've got used to the, got to grips with the game and how it works. And you're trying to give them a new challenge now to think outside of the box so that they're not just always playing strength or they're not just always playing their go-to spell. um, That they have to start to think of a a different challenge now. This would be great. So I'm excited to play them. Um, Hopefully you guys are too. I'll pass it back over to Adam and Dan and I will talk to you soon.
1: Do you agree that strategy equals law instead of neutral on the alignment chart like Terry says? Like the more strategic you are, the more lawful you are?
2: No. I, I don't like.
1: I think you could be strategic and chaotic. I like I, to to a freaking point. Like I think Terry's right. As is uh, uh, is very strategic and he's very lawful. The more lawful you are, the better you will be at
2: chess. Uh, see, I disagree with that because I I look at your, um, Orcus, your demon prince, your chaotic evil of chaotic evil demon prince. And the schemes he has, the the long view he has. He's more than content to wait for the world to decay as well, right? Yeah, but but his
1: strategy is to wait. That's not a huge strategy.
2: There are... He is a strategic mind, and they say it is. Like, you look at Baphomet. Baphomet's incredibly chaotic, but also incredibly strategic.
1: No, he's intelligent, and he's constantly experimenting.
2: What I would say is that strategy comes from intelligence, not from alignment. Right? And, and that that's where I see that. You, I,
1: I think you're right, but there's a certain point when you have a lawful mind, when you have the rules and you understand the rules and you work within the rules, you manipulate them. When you become Bill Belichick, you are lawful evil. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. That. So,
2: because... because yeah, you, otherwise you're Sean Avery if you're just chaotic. Yeah. You know the rules and you know how to
1: exploit them, <laughs> yeah. but you're just an asshole. So... <laughs> So the, the idea here is that the more intelligent that you are, the more strategic you are, but law gives you the patience. It gives you the ability to outthink your opponent instead of just knowing the right way forward. You have six or seven contingency plans. I think it makes you a better strategist to be lawful. So technically, I agree with Terry.
2: Yeah, I mean, but when you see with these guys, they if they're the strategist, if they're the ones with all of those levels of... You know contingency plans, like you guessed. Terry says that they're recurring masterminds, but they're only CR four. How does that line up? If they're only CR four, how are they the recurring masterminds throughout your
1: campaign? So this is a this is a problem I have with the CR rating and the mobs in general. Drought does a really good job of having their big leaders be CR fucking twenty, mm-hmm. right? But UNT don't do that. They're meant to be things that you run into and in CR one two three yeah all right when you're in those tiers so they're supposed to be like that prep before you hit the drow campaign like
2: you you guys want a small sampling and now we're going to get to evil conniving drow i don't like that because i like the UNT better than i like drow to be honest but yeah
1: anyways um i i like drow better until you realize that they're supposed to be like four feet tall and they're suddenly just not intimidating anymore are they supposed to be like four feet tall? Oh, yeah. They're, they're tiny elves. They're smaller. Oh, the yeah. yeah. and d elves are not like yeah, no. uh, Tolkien, tall, graceful. No, your dwarves are looking these guys in the eye. So the idea of like the regal drow that walks in all thin and nimble and whatnot. Like I could break you over my fucking knee. <laughs> Bane. <laughs> we, we were
2: talking about pitmasters earlier and I, I, I held back on the Bane joke. I just want you to know.
1: So, thank you. It's a perk. So, <laughs> anyway... I I have a problem with this until I think about the fact these guys will probably team up with others. there will be little councils and little cabals and whatnot. At which point, when you take on a group of them, you want to pick off a diplomat one at a time mm. you don't want to walk into the council and have to take on all of these motherfuckers otherwise. okay yeah so i like that a little bit better when you think about them from that kind of advisor diplomat standpoint as a cr4 it makes a little bit more sense but they're yeah i mean they're going to be
2: able to surround themselves with cr8s that are subservient to them yeah. right so i mean just because they're cr4 doesn't make them weak encounters but i don't know man like having a recurring villain come up, I want them a little bit more powerful.
1: Well, keep too. in mind that these guys are still technically Malisons. So all of the shit that we've talked about with the variants that you can get in, in Volos, yeah. in the lore section, all of the acid skin and all that crazy oh, shit, that's they still cool. get all that, right? Yeah,
2: but I, I would love, like if you want this guy to be truly reoccurring, ha- after like he's CR4, you fight him at level eight as a party, surrounding himself with these things, He's going to know to get away because that's what you want to do. And then the next time you encounter him, he's an abomination.
1: Yeah, could be. Right? And Absolutely. He's, he's
2: going up that list.
1: Yeah. One of the other things about him um, and about actually a bunch of the ones we're going to talk about today is that we're seeing one of the most powerful dark visions in the entirety of 5th edition. Mm-hmm. 120 feet and the ability to see in magical darkness. Do
2: you attribute this a little bit to the fact like Snake's... A lot of their perception around them is based off like tasting the air. Do you kind of attribute it to that as well? The
1: Abyss, man. Just, Uh, okay, yeah, just the Abyss. I'm not going, when it comes to dark vision, nine times out of 10, you were blessed by something one way or the other. I mean, Warlocks have a similar
2: thing as an invocation. Exactly. With their, I think it's Witch Sight or whatever it is.
1: Yeah, and that's, this is very much a Warlock feel to them. Mm -hmm. Um, I really wanted these guys to be able to cast Darkness as well considering that they are natural spellcasters but that would make the mind whisper far higher than cr4. Yep. Especially considering that they're built to be master strategists so they would always catch you with your pants down.
2: I, I I imagine these guys having like a scroll or a potion or employing someone that could cast darkness for them because he can't be bothered to waste time preparing on preparing a darkness when he's got three guys to do it for
1: him. Well, do warlocks prepare spells?
2: Uh, I, t- I mean, yes, in quotations.
1: They're like, div- they're arcane clerics. If I can be honest, I'm going to look at this guy and I'm going to um, beef him up with the regular malison stuff as well. I also don't necessarily feel the need to have them be the snake head human body. Mm. It could be any malison. There are five types of malisons. Yeah, okay. Right. I'm going to mix it up a little bit to keep everybody on their toes. And I feel like a mind whisperer. When they're going through their their evolution, they're going to know this ahead of time. And so they're going to try to guide their own personal evolution. And I would say that they would probably learn darkness along yeah, the way.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I but mean, remember,
1: that makes them more difficult to run into.
2: You did mention that, like, be more willing to change the form of your Malisons to, like... And manipulate them. Like we have all those that, various That's of those really
1: homebrew, but I think that it makes sense. Yeah.
2: I mean, this really matches with the fact that these things have this shape changer ability. Well um, right? I mean
1: There's so much transformation and polymorph involved in UNT yeah. that I I can hand away this one kinda easily. I mean, yeah,
2: you're completely right. We see with all of this uh ability to change shape and 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 polymorph level stuff in uanty culture do you think this shape changer thing is more of a to be political or is because i don't see a malison being in a um major city interacting with humans just as a more
1: oh absolutely not not unless they have got some sort of Cloak or true polymorph or something up, yeah, to, this, to this, hide them.
2: This is probably almost exclusively for retreat, but does it work for recon and exploration? Like, I don't expect this wild shape to be a badass fighting mechanic. No, no, this
1: is this is something that is going to be used outside of combat. Yeah, okay, they, they will use it to be able to slither out the window or you know disappear into the pile of vines or or whatever it is they will have their escape methods that only they can use yeah and we're seeing this more and more and more in some of the mobs the way that they're there they have escape plans shape changing does not necessarily mean you're going to turn into a bear like a druid it's Mm. a wild shape yeah you're not casting up into an animal you're casting down for another purpose these guys are just not melee fighters. That that's what this is. I think we're right. really seeing that with the shape changing and right. everything else they got going for them. I mean, they do psychic damage too, right? Yeah. And that's that's it. Always leans leads me in that direction to to say that they're not going to be necessarily melee. Um, they do get to add it, but I mean, even their spells are largely non-combatant, except for that boosted eldritch blast and the poison spray. Would you play them as cowardly or just strategic?
2: Ah, uh, I mean the situation calls for whichever then yes i think i think are too thing, arrogant to be cowards. They, yeah right i i think are they cowardly yes by textbook definition the word they are but they're they're never going to let you think that they're running away f- because the, they're afraid
1: they're not yellow-bellied yeah you know.
2: they're gonna be like and now it is time for me to go to prepare the next step for you and uh, like slither
1: away. I'll see you in your dreams. Yeah, something yeah.
2: like that, right? Like even if they've got nothing going for them, which to be honest is not going to happen very much because of how like how high of a strategy level these guys employ. But even if you guys catch them completely unawares, they have no ulterior plan, no contingency. They're never going to let you know that.
1: So, I said is that going to go I'll see you in your dreams. That's gonna bring us to the next thing. Brad is in the Yawning Portal and he's gonna cover the Nightmare Speaker, which is a mallison that specifically has a humanoid head and upper torso and the lower body of a snake, which is typically a type three malison. But remember, these guys are the ones that follow Dendar and they are the all female. Cool. Cast of mallisons.
5: So I've been talking to Dernan here at the Yawning Portal and when I mentioned that I've been doing some research into the Yuan he mentioned that there used to be Yuan down in the Dungeon of the Mad Mage uh, until they were wiped out by Negas. But he mentioned a specific type of Yuan that I want to touch on today that I had not heard of before. These Yuan are called the Nightmare Speakers. These Nightmare Speakers are all female and they are Malisons. Uh, they're priests that made a pact with Dendar. They thrive on fear and on nightmares. They use them to manipulate the minds of their victims. Rather than physically kill a victim, they would rather torment them and torture them. They themselves are often the victims of nightmares and visions that have been given to them by Dendar. And they interpret those visions as prophetic. And they do whatever they can to ensure that those prophecies are fulfilled. Uh, They tend to surround themselves with undead And they like to manipulate humanoids to acquire more and more victims to torment and to torture and to twist. These creatures have a challenge rating of 4. They have only natural armor, so an AC of 14. But they have 13d8 plus 13 hit points, or 7d1. And a movement speed of 30 feet, so standard uh, movement speed. They have a good strength, a good dex, an average-ish con... Uh, good int, average wisdom and good charisma. They're quite charismatic uh, being able to manipulate your mind and get you to do the things that they want you to do. Uh, they're proficient with wisdom and charisma saving throws. Uh, they are skilled in deception and stealth. Immune to poison, uh, dark vision of 120 feet, which also penetrates magical darkness. So keep a mind on that. Magical darkness will not block the dark vision of these uh, serpents. Unlike other Yuan they are able to permeate magical darkness. Uh their languages they speak are abyssal, common, and draconic. Uh like others, they have other yuan they have the ability called shape changer, which allows them to polymorph into a snake. Uh, in their case, it's a medium-sized snake and they can polymorph back into their Nightmare Speaker form. They have a special ability called Death Fangs. Twice a day they can use this, and the first time they hit with a melee attack on their turn, they can deal an extra 3d10 necrotic damage. That's twice a day. Uh, They are spellcasters with the ability to cast animal friendship at will with snakes only, And three times a day they can cast Suggestion. They have uh, Magical Resistance, which is quite common upon the UNT, so advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. And in their UNT form, so not in the Snake form, obviously, they can cast a few more spells. Cantrips, they know, are Chill Touch, Eldritch Blast. They are uh, Warlocks, effectively, UNT Warlocks. They can cast Mage Hand, Message, Poison Spray or Prez And they have two third-level slots that they can use on spells, uh, either Arms of Hadar, Darkness, Fear, Hex, Whole Person, Hunger of Hadar, or Witch Bolt. Uh, so again, looking at these spells, you can see that they really do pull from the warlock list. Um, you can really see them as being warlocks. They do gain their power from Dendar. right? This is a gift that is given upon them, so the warlock really is fitting. It's not necessarily studied. Um, it's not innate it is given to them from a higher power. Uh, They have a multi-attack ability which allows them to make one constrict attack and one scimitar attack. So do note that the multi-attack is not for just the scimitar, So they can't make two attacks with their weapon but they can use a constrict attack and the one with the scimitar. So constrict is similar to the others, Uh, they're going to have a plus five to hit with it and ten feet of reach and it does 2d6 plus three bludgeoning damage the target when they hit you you will be grappled you don't get to make a saving throw until your turn and it's an escape throw not a saving throw so it has a flat DC of 14 and if creature is large or smaller you'll be grappled until the grapple ends you are will be restrained so again disadvantage on any attacks You'll have advantage on attacks made against you, and you'll have disadvantage on any dexterity saving throws. Like I said, they do wield a scimitar, so that will be a plus 5 to hit, and it'll do 1d6 plus 3 slashing damage. And lastly, the ability they have, this ability called Invoke Nightmare, uh, recharges on a short or long rest, and they tap into the nightmares of a creature you can see within 60 feet. So they basically go into your mind. And what happens is you need to make a DC-13 saving throw. Uh, it's an intelligence saving throw. And on a failed save, you're going to take 2d10 damage, psychic damage to be specific, and you'll be frightened of the manifestation, believing it to be real. So basically, you need to move away from it at any opportunity you have, and if you have any sight on it, you're going to be, again, frightened. So you can't move any closer willingly, and you're going to have any dis- disadvantage on any ability checks or attack rolls while the source of fears within line of sight. So you need to get out of line of sight to remove this effect. Uh, this effect effect will last one minute and it is a concentration spell so they do the nightmare will have to maintain concentration to maintain the effect at the end of each of your turn you will be able to make a saving throw against that effect again taking 2d 10 damage if you fail so this is a pretty potent ability these nightmare speakers are quite cool to use um especially in a party if they don't If they have a Warlock in there, the Warlock would be really interested in seeing the spells that they're using. Any other casters, of course, would be interested in trying to learn the spells that these guys have there. They're quite potent. You can see the effects that they have on the mind. I would really kind of play into that. Using their snake forms, uh, have them slithering through the wilderness around the party, and when there's an opportunity, trying to, especially when the party's taking a long rest, I would have these guys trying to kind of get into their minds, get play in their heads uh, for those who are sleeping. They do have efficiency and stealth so take advantage of that sneak up on the party try and get in their mind use this invoke nightmare ability to really mess with the minds of the party disrupt their rests uh, really give them an exhausted state it's gonna give you an advantage in the next combat they like to get under your skin they like to play mind games with you they're really not your typical in your face big brawny scary snakes these guys are more subterfuge they're more behind the scenes and I think if used well as a DM you can really mess with the party. I think that's about all I have to say about the UNT Nightmare Speakers. Uh, reach out to me either on Instagram at CluelessGameMaster or on the subreddit and I'd be happy to chat with you about these fascinating creatures. Thanks for taking a listen and uh, we'll return you back to Adam and Dan in the Guildhouse.
2: So you remember how earlier I was talking about how editing this podcast with all of these hard S's is a pain Seth. in the ass? Yeah. yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, Brad hits them so much that while... It really annoys me as a podcast editor. I would love to run a UNT cam- or be part of a UNT in ca- uh, campaign with him.
1: He needs to play more UNT characters because he hits his S's so hard all yeah. the time.
2: And you know what they say about
1: uh, uh, what happens to a snake that gets hit with a bolt of lightning. You don't need to do this. You don't <laughs> need to make that horrible X-Men joke.
2: Yes, I do. You're Every like, same
0: thing as everything else.
1: That is the third time this week that fucking joke has come up. <laughs> Dave was the other two times and I am like... It's not even... Oh, I'm just mad now. It's just because Brad is so focused on his lightning damage. I'm calling him out on the podcast. Brad, there are other forms of elemental damage in this game. Any who's it. <laughs> okay, I want, I want to talk for a second about what I said before with the Mind whisper and Dark Vision. These guys do cast darkness uh-huh. with their crazy dark vision and the ability to see magical darkness and whatnot. I, this makes them more than a CR4. Just like it's that so combo. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they would inherently know to start any combat or retreat by casting darkness. Therefore, you are at a massive disadvantage when fighting these guys.
2: It throws me for a loop that these are the ones who are like that you want especially the Nightmare Speakers, are the ones who are going to employ darkness against the party. I've always attributed that as a uh, Duragar tactic.
1: Right? Uh, there are so many things that get that though. You know? I mean, I—I I mean, that's
2: probably because I read a lot of R. A. Salvatore books, and that keeps on coming up. But the motherfucker killed Chewbacca. I'm not over it yet. <laughs> I never will be. But it's such a great technique. Um, Terry in one of the last campaigns. Him and our wizard character uh, player had built this combo of casting darkness and then immediately casting a fireball on top of. Yeah. That's fantastic. And I could see a Nightmare Speaker doing kind of the same thing. Yeah, I, I I agree with that. Yeah. What is odd about the Nightmare Speaker is that it doesn't get a bite attack. The Mind Whisperer did, despite the ability called Death Fangs that Brad mentioned, which is the one that adds the necrotic damage. It still doesn't bite. Is this just poorly named or is the or are you adding a bite attack to it?
1: I'm adding a bite attack to everything. UNT. I just think oh, Well, the pure blood has the variant ability to do that in the first place, even though it looks like a human. I'm just gonna have these guys specifically, they need to be able to have a bite attack. Every Yuan-T should be able to unsheath their fangs and, as a bonus action. And should
2: be able to unhinge their jaws. So I understand that these things have a humanoid torso and a humanoid head so it might be a little bit weirder to um make sense of but um what like, i think funny enough i think of the mummy when you see the big wall of sand like oh the and, that mouth, sword, is like and the mouth just right? like distends longer than it should possibly be able to go these guys can't do that all Yuan-T should be able to do that. and that justifies their I, I
1: really, really, really like the idea of introducing a part. I'm, You know what? I'm going to do this. I'm not going to so, tell you. I hope that Megan and the rest are listening, my, my regular D&D players, because the next time that you run into yuan you're going to discover the Yuan-T murderer in the city who is a pureblood disguised as a human. You will discover them standing over a crib, jaw distended, swallowing a baby. Don't like it. How gross is that? <laughs> just, you have the one, like, council member. No one really
2: knows they're pure blood or anything. But just walks into a council, council meeting one day with this extremely large paunch. Like, they've been uh, fit and, you know, putting their best foot forward. Everything is very trim and elegant and, um, you know, well put together. And then they come in the one meeting like... Wiping the corner of their mouth with a uh, serviette, which is this massively No, 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 stomach. with a child's blanket. Oh, oh, God. Just like little like uh knitted thing with like yeah. the monogram written on the side. Yeah. You're a horrible person.
1: I, you know what? I mean, you, you said, you know, the distended belly because, of course, anacondas and these big
2: Yeah, yeah. Like they'll eat are... deer. And yeah, pull. and then they,
1: they get these big fat belly. And I'm thinking about some of the other things that are you know, traditionally snake-like, once they have a big meal like that, they would have to shed their skin almost immediately. Yep. So they would leave evidence behind if you're going to use that in some oh, sort of campaign. that's really cool. The other thing that I Back like... Back to the dandruff killer. The, the other thing that I really like is that <laughs> reptiles, uh, they don't hibernate, they do what's called bermating, which is yeah. uh, when they move at a reduced speed, they do only the most necessary actions. If you're going to fight you on T... In a campaign, a dungeon master should design it for summer months when they're the most active. Yep. Because they will withdraw into their lands and essentially go into lockdown during the winter. Because they will not have the energy because they're cold-blooded. Cool. That's also a great reason to attack during that time. Yeah, Right? If you wanted to make that If you that could action. live that
2: long and survive that long.
1: Well, uh, look, I, I've got geckos, and they burmate to a far lesser degree than a lot of wild reptiles. And my leopard geckos will tend to... Um, they just don't eat as much. They don't move as much. They aren't as active at night, but they will sit still for days. Their eyes are open, but they're just sitting still. Imagine looking into the courtyard and seeing merchants, like you on team merchants, standing behind these these giant um, uh, like rickshaws. Displays, and, yeah, it, yeah. right? And so, And they're standing there and they're just completely still, like only a reptile can be. And every once in a while, a tongue flicks out or an eye, one eye blinks. And that would just be so creepy. Jeez. I'm like, I'm thinking of, uh,
2: because a lot of these cultures are, um, and yuan groups are in like these jungle fortresses or or ancient city-states. Just like your party's walking in and it's just seeing up beyond reach. Like just, maybe you just see the silhouettes of these Creatures standing perfectly still, and they're so perfectly still. You see their silhouettes, but they're clearly just bas reliefs. They're
1: clearly just like the statues, statues and busts. Maybe if you right. can't see the bottom half, of them. right?
2: But no, the second you know a fight starts, those forms shift and move, and now become incredibly active.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Okay, look. Let, let's get back to the nightmare speaker, though. Okay, I want to point out with the spell list again. That their Eldritch Blast is the same. It's got the increased range and in damage, just like the Mind Whisper. But it also has a few additional offensive spells, so you're going to see them in combat mm-hmm. more often. They've got Hex, they have Poison Spray, of course, and Witch Bolt. Okay, Witch Bolt with the Darkness. That oh, they, right. So that you don't have to hit with that disadvantage in darkness. You only have to hit once. And your guy, and it's going to be difficult for people to retreat. So they might stay within that 30 feet range of uh, of witchbolt. They're getting a lot
2: of these iconic, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more in depth, but they get these iconic Warlock spells. Yeah. Right? I would love to see some more of them with like Armor of Agathus and like these other ones as well.
1: There, uh, There's Hunger of Hadar. Yeah,
2: well. right. I mean, you see Hunger of Hadar in there. Um, but... The, this this flavor. If you have a player in the party that just does nothing but shit on warlocks, give them a UNT campaign and change their fucking mind. Yeah. All of this spellcasting aside, I do have a small problem. It's this multi-attack. It seems a little light. You can constrict and make one scimitar attack, but if you've constricted a creature, you, then you can't constrict another. So, the order of actions goes round one, cast darkness, because of course. Yep. Yeah. Round two, constrict and scimitar. Okay. Okay. Um, Round three, just scimitar. Yeah. With only 71 hit points, I'm not sure this thing is getting a round four. Even in darkness, your guys are going to find him and kick his ass. So round three, after it's like done a sizable chunk of damage to something else, do you think it should just be dashing away with their restrained prey to kind of get the kill on them in a different location or...
1: Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, I would not even have an action. You've constricted and done your scimitar attack. Dash. Yeah. Just get out of there. And remember, constrict
2: first and then do the scimitar attack. Yeah, because you want advantage on that attack. You want advantage and
1: constricting gives restrained, um, which... Which gives you the advantage, especially because you're in magical darkness, which means that even with darkvision you have disadvantage, so that evens it out for a straight roll. Mm, yeah. Um considering that the invoke nightmare ability though requires concentration just like darkness does do you really think that the nightmare speaker is going to even bother with this like maybe even if they just have the upper if they know they have the upper hand right i mean i could see them using it as
2: a method to thin the ranks to make the fight a little bit easier but i but it's in darkness
1: too it's in darkness too like so you drop the darkness it's those who are outside of the darkness i would say that they're going to use this in a one-off when they get you away from the party
2: uh yeah or they if you have like a larger party like some tables have nowadays because of how playing on zoom has worked a lot of parties have kind of come together um you have them cast it on one turn and then the next turn they're doing darkness as this thing's running away right that being said i hate how fear works and how light it is in 5e you know how you have problems with poison i have problems with fear for that same reason There comes a point in this game where fear just is pointless, right? Uh, And unfortunately, these things at their CR level, you're getting close. You got
1: a paladin? That's not a concern. Well, kind of. Because if you can get it off, it's great. The other thing about the Invoke Nightmare ability is something I never really noticed before in the text. Okay. And it says, the target can repeat the saving throw at the end of each of its turns ending the illusion on a success or taking 2d10 psychic damage on a failure oh okay all right so already that's better and yep. it's at the end of the turn right so that that hurts they spend their turn but, running away but the target can that's what it says they have a the choice whether or not to make the save and remember that's rules is written it says they can and they would take 2d10 psychic damage on a failure specifically. So if the player decides not to try to shake it, then do they take the psychic damage or do they just remain frightened?
2: They just remain frightened. I I agree. I
1: I think the psychic damage comes from the
2: shattering of the illusion.
1: No, no, no. That's if they try to get away from it and fail. If they just accept it and cower, then they're fine. I picture someone getting so scared they close their eyes. Okay. When they open their eyes to face their fear, it causes psychic damage if they face it and fuck it up, right? So... I really like that, and I would like to see more of that with more frightened conditions. That's fun and flavorful. I still think darkness is more powerful. I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah. I would agree with you.
1: So, uh, Megan is in the crypts beneath Castle Ravenloft right still? now. Still. Uh, well, she's trapped there, actually, at the moment. <laughs> um, and she is covering a pit master, which is... In her situation, I'd be concerned about. <laughs> um, this is a mallison that specifically has a humanoid body with snakes for arms, which is typically a type 2 mallison. And these ones are the ones that uh, worship Mershock. All right. So we're going to get some sleep theme to it as well because he's a slumbering god. Remember, though, that in what, there are the UNT tables um, in Volos for different kinds of Malisons. And this being the type two um, shows you that this is snake arms. This is what we get yeah. here. Wacky, wa- uh, wacky waving, inflatable, flailing arms, man. Tube man. Tube man. Damn. Fuck so almost you look at the art for this and you see that it's got a dozen snakes hanging off of its shoulder, like where it's arm would be that are all like wriggling and writhing. And yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's a lot scarier than it sounds. And I really like the idea of there being multiple snakes. I would almost never just have the one big snake arm that feels a little he-man to me. Oh, it, it feels very
2: he-man to me. Cause like you see that guy, you start thinking about like, how does this guy pick up his like, mug for coffee in the morning
1: i just picture like that the snake jaw like unhinging and wrapping around a mug and then he like picks it up and he's like sitting there giving his own arm the
2: heimlich maneuver because it's choking on something jesus <laughs> like do those did they see the he- oh, no they got I, snake kids
1: yeah like is he like looking around a corner with an arm <laughs> why the fuck not right it's so weird. Like, look. Oh, get as the espionage work. guys, these things are
2: great now. Because, like, you just see, like, the one head pop around and, tss, like, look and then pop back and then a dude's head pops back around. Like, yeah, no, I love it. The problem is, like. You are
1: so, we run very different campaigns. I like
2: the comedy. I really do. So, I would I would lead
1: into it well, once for the comedy. Funny looking motherfucker. That's... Anyways, let's get to
2: Megan.
3: All right. Hey guys, of course, Megan here from Castle Ravenloft. Still dark, still dingy. I think I've been in the same hallway area for about a week now. I'm kind of lucky that I have a lot of rations with me. Um, I have sent out a distress call. Don't worry, my team is probably on their way to find me. But I have found myself once again in a very, very strange area. But yeah, I'll figure it out. Anyway, so we were talking about the Iwante when I first got down here, so I might as well kind of continue that conversation. So I wanted to dig deep a little bit into um, Pitmasters. And wanted to share some of my findings in a couple of books that I found while I was sitting around down here in the dark by myself. So, these folks are developed through kind of like a a warlock style. So, through a pact with their god, uh, Mershulk. But here's kind of like the kicker. Their entire existence is based on making humanoid sacrifices in hopes to bring their god back from its slumber. So, here's the thing. Adam and Dan, in fact, the whole team, knows that I love a good cult. And these guys basically just scream that. So, of course... I'm going to be super interested in these. So, as I said, they're making humanoid sacrifices, but at the end of the day, their actual ultimate goal is to kind of rid all other humanoids and kind of infiltrate their governments and like control their towns and like just the whole nine yards of control and domination, which is awesome. But let's get into the stats of what a pit master kind of looks like. And kind of think again, like these guys are kind of like priesty, so there's a little bit of magic, a little bit of fighty, a little bit of everything in there. So, these guys have um, their challenge rating is only around a, a five. So, definitely not something you want to tango with um, in your early stages of characters, but um, definitely more like a, a closer to a big, big bad or an army of a bigger, bigger bad kind of thing. Uh, they have an armor class of 14, of course, natural armor. These guys are Uantis, are the snake folk, which they do have kind of like a scaly exterior. Um, And they do have a natural speed of 30. So similar to a regular, you know, moving humanoid of any kind. Uh, They do have a strength of 16, a dex of 14, and a constitution of 13. Honestly, these guys don't have a negative stat at all. So these guys are, they're above average in pretty much everything, to be honest with you. So, So their saving throws are wisdom and charisma. They do have skills higher in deception and stealth. And then they do have poison immunity for damage, similar to any of the the other Yuan-Ti. It's kind of like a a trend. Um, And then, of course, they have their Dark Vision uh, and does actually penetrate magical darkness, which is really cool for any kind of character and very frightening. Because I do find that a lot of PC's escape system is throw up some darkness and run away. These guys would not fall into that trap. They do speak a couple languages. So, of course, Abyssal, Common, and Draconic. Um, So, very well read, very knowledgeable um, style PCs or characters, shall we say. Same thing as most Yuantes, they do have Shape Changer where they can polymorph into a medium sized snake and back to its own self. Um, They do have innate spell casting, same with other Yuantes, they do use charisma as their spell save and then they can use animal friendship with snakes only. They do have the magical resistances, so they have advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. Uh, they do have poison's discipline. So basically if these guys are the first time it's hit with the melee attack, it actually deals an extra like 3d10 poison damage to its target. I guess it just like expels poison <laughs> when when it strikes. And then of course it has spell casting. So they are a six level spell caster so it does have this and as I mentioned charisma is its spell save and it regains its expended spell slots when it finishes a short or long rest kind of similar to your regular spell caster or or priest or cleric or shall we say Um, they do have a couple of really cool cantrips Um, they have eldritch blast they have friends guidance they have mage hand message and poison spray so a lot of cantrips for a singular character like if you think about any other character build you maybe get two or three cantrips at the most and then you start increasing your spells and your spell slots but your cantrips tend to stay the same so i find that them having this many cantrips they could can basically fire off at will without expending spell slots is pretty awesome and then for first to third level spells they do have two third level spell slots and they can use command counter spell hellish rebuke invisibility misty step unseen servant and vampiric touch so, again, these guys tend to lean on the more evilish side. And of course, like their alliance technically is neutral evil. Um, but of course, this does read more as like your warlock than it would a priest. But of course, a priest can be evil should they feel like it. Um, and then just for your basic actions, they do have a multi attack, which can do two bite attacks using its um, snake arms. Because I said the visual of these guys is they are humanoid, but they do have snakes for arms, which is always delightful. And then they have something called Murshulk's Slumber. So they can only do this once per day, and it can target up to five creatures within like a 60-foot area, so pretty much probably your entire team if you're coming up against these ones. And they have to succeed on a DC 13 constitution saving throw, which is not necessarily that high. Um, But thinking about like if you have a very well-rounded team, you've got your distance, you've got your wizards, your rogues, your things that just aren't really strong in constitution... Um, then they do fall into a magical slumber like sleep for 10 minutes. But of course, if your character does take damage after it falls asleep, um, it will potentially wake up. Um, And then of course, if you do have a character who's immune to being charmed, technically they would not be affected by this. So again, it really depends on your team how awful this would affect you, but it does seem very frightening, but also a really cool way for a DM to entrap a team right like you could almost make a dm make this go in their way so let's say like your team is coming up against this clan of pitmasters and is looking to destroy the cult they would come across this pitmaster and immediately just puts you all to sleep and captures you and then your entire next couple episodes is going to be like the escape room process of trying to get out of this uanti prison and then destroy it from within right I don't know. There's a lot of really cool things that you can do with you, in general, but I think that's one of the ones that I enjoy the most is utilizing this pit master's sleeping capability um, to either entrap you or scare your characters into wanting to go further in or what have you, right? A very good scare tactic is a DM. Another really cute idea I kind of had was, Basically just having one of these guys working within the cults or the clan and then deciding, you know what, this isn't for me. I really don't want to do this and I want to kind of stop them from within, but I'm not strong enough on my own. Then this character goes off and finds a group of heroes and says, hey, like, I come from the Yuanti clan, which is just around the corner. And basically they are trying to destroy the large city that is just over the mountain. And I really don't want them to, but I'm not strong enough to stop them. Can you help me stop them? And then there's a couple episodes of this little Yuanti trying to convince them that they're legitimately trying to help and that wants to be friends with them. And, like, I could really see this being a PC that your NPCs would love and then agree to help kind of thing. And then you help them destroy the cult from within, right, utilizing this PC. Anyways, I'm going to throw it back to you guys. So back to you, Dan and Adam. Would you use these folks as PCs or would you allow your... Sorry, NPCs, or would you allow your... um? Players to actually build characters using these. I don't think I've ever played in a game where someone has built a Yuanti as a PC. Um, so I'm wondering what you guys' thoughts are on that. Uh, as for the audience, feel free to follow me, of course, on Instagram at zero mega zero. But otherwise, have you guys yourselves a great week?
1: She says that you know she wants to talk about building, letting a player build a character up to being a pit master. Would you let people build up to become? Would your PC get to be a Malison? You can be a pureblood. So, yes.
2: By lore, why not? By lore, why not? However, my friends, there are rituals involved in that process that require... Evil campaigns exist. ...human sacrifice and and cannibalism. So, yes.
1: 100% I would. No, remember, the Malisons, the true UNTs don't eat the humans. They sacrifice them. It's the humans that eat the humans. Well, but, it that's kind of vague. It doesn't go either way it with that. Specifically, says in the in the cults bit about it. Oh, well, that the cults do do it, yes, but and like, that regular UNT don't. They shy right away from. They shy away from it, except when they are low on food and they have At, to. Uh, yeah, as or, a survival technique, yeah. or to eat uh, in a form of reverence. Well, and that's why I was saying
2: like it would be involved. I personally, I would put it in as part of the ritual.
1: I absolutely would not because I want someone to beef up. Tier three, but beef up. Get fucking weird. Roll a D10, divide it by two, and let's find out which one of these um, these types of malison that you're going to become. Yeah. Do not oh, control it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that 100%. And I think that that's loads of fun, super flavorful. Flavorful, fucking weird. I like the idiot of two of them doing it by accident. Like the this is the UNT with the heart of gold. They're a draitzed fucking snake. Yeah, wank, wank, wank. But <laughs> they end up getting into the, the temple. There's all of these humans that are being dangled over a pit. You go to release them, but it drops all the humans in. You have now done the ritual by accident and boom snake. Snake arms. Right? Like some yeah. fucking crazy thing. You're
2: I, I I do like it, however, um, only with you, T do I see that level of
1: yeah. Specifically, because the lore backs because it up. the
2: lore backs it up. If
1: look, if I'm going to let some people be werewolves, and there's a fucking someone, vampire template, then why not?
2: Yeah, and, I mean, or you know, your Asmar becoming a actual legit angel later on, or Celestial later on. Yeah, like, it's, it's in the lore. It's, do it, your thing. Do sure. your thing. But like here, it is so clear of the process. Yeah, man, I'm down with it. Um, It does say in the flavor text that these pitmasters oppose reckless behavior and argue for slow, cautious approach in all manners, end quote, while they plot government takeovers and protect their own uh, settlements. Does this sound lawful evil or neutral evil to you? That's lawful. (sighs) I know. I agree with you. I do. Especially since everything is neutral evil. Why the hell are they?
1: They they oppose reckless behavior. (sighs) That's just another way of saying chaotic. Yeah, right. right? They, they're opposing chaos. Yeah, that, that's lawful. That's... Yeah. I think they're going to be the most lawful of the malice. I
2: would agree. Yeah.
1: So, this is the third side of the UNT warlock trifecta. We've talked about it a handful of times. Mm-hmm. The mind whisperer does psychic damage. The nightmare speaker does necrotic damage. And the pit master does poison damage. Cool. They all have their own body shapes, gods, and spell lists and I think that you can really get into the headspaces of the gods based on how they bless their worshipers. Oh, interesting. Okay. Right. You can reverse engineer how these gods kind of work. Honestly, this is a great series of examples for Dungeon Masters to sit down and think about when it comes to the nature of some relationships between warlocks and their patrons. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I mean, one of the things that I, I feel both opens up and constrains a dungeon master when it comes to warlocks is the ambiguity that they've set in. Like when you are a, um, arch fiend, uh, warlock, right? How does that play out in your character? What kind of arch fiend is it? Yep. If you are worshiping a barbed devil or, uh, let's say a chain devil, are you suddenly like, do you have an affinity for chains? <laughs> like, are you Terry? Are you Terry? <laughs> um, if you are a great old one, do you Grow a fifth eye? Which yes does necessitate a third fourth third and fourth. Like,
1: how does this I got my two blue eyes, I got my brown eye. Oh where's um, my like, one, like one eye my, trouser my... snake? Okay, there we go. Yeah, fifth eye. I'm yeah, right fifth there. eye. Um, so <laughs> That one's my private eye. God damn it. <laughs> I'm derailing you and moving on. <laughs> okay. All right, because it drives me fucking crazy that all three of these enemies only have two spell slots for the non- cantrip spells. Other
2: yeah, the warlocks, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, but honestly, the further along the campaign you get, the more spell slots I'm going to give these Yuan T. I want them to do their crazy cool shit. I'm also going to start bumping up uh, hit points. For example, the pit master has an average of 88 at level five because he's a CR five. But when the party is level six, seven, eight, et cetera, I'm going to get closer to the 16 D8 plus 16 hit points that is their maximum. I'm also going to start adding a couple of more of these spell slots because we're getting deeper into the the depths of the UNT campaign.
2: I disagree wholeheartedly. They are warlocks. Warlocks getting access to their spell levels. But but, like, the- it, but one second. Warlocks getting access to their spell slots. This is the way it works. Uh, Wizards has set forward. If you are a warlock, full stop, whether you're an NPC, PC, monster, doesn't matter. This is the way it's going to work. Um we also have to remember that Yuan-Ti are ambushers. They are not just going to stand and bang with the party. They're going to rely on that incredibly powerful Eldritch Blast if they need to for another couple turns. If yeah, they that, are that's, around that's long cantor. enough, That if, doesn't need if spell they, slots. I yeah, know. If they are around in a combat long enough to blow both of their spell slots and they're still around, something has gone wrong. They will blow through their spell slots, be like, oh, I'm weaker now. I will leave. And because they're warlocks, your party will travel around for another hour. And that
1: motherfucker is going to come back with a full compliment. Hard disagree with you. And here's my perspective on it. Players are bound by player character rules. Dungeon masters are not. Ah. At no point does a dungeon master have to sit down and build a player character in order to have a necromancer be there. The same thing is true for the Warlocks that are available, right? The Warlock NPC stat blocks that exist are at different CR ratings, meaning that they level at different rates, which means these specific Warlocks, if you get a high enough Malison who foregoes the Abomination ritual to gain more spells and more magic power, they would have more spell slots. Ah... It do- that doesn't bother me in the least that they would do that. I, I just, adding spell slots makes
2: things exponentially more powerful, right? Especially with the just straight up power of these warlock spells.
1: But keep in mind who this guy is, right? Yeah. Okay. The idea is yeah. these guys have been running around in the background being masterminds. When you catch up to them at level 12, they need to put up a fight. They can't just be round three. Now what? Scimitar? Well, that's what I'm saying. Then they would turn. I mean, you look at their spells. They should, but remember, it's a D&D campaign. You will eventually corner them for your big final fight. So you've already chased them at level five, at level six, at level seven. They should have a new trick every time. And I'm not going to give them a magic weapon because that's what everyone's going to do. Oh, it's a warlock. So I'll just give them a wand of, of magic missile to beef them up. No, man, I'm just going to give him more spell slots because he's got some badass shit he can do. I mean, he, you're,
2: you're not wrong. He's got some great spells that he can use, like Hellish Rebuke, Counterspell, Invisibility, Misty Step, even Mage Hand. All of these that this guy has are useful to just piss off and harry your party.
1: Yeah, but most of those Hellish Rebuke, Counterspell, Invisibility, Misty Step, those all require spell slots.
2: Yes, they require spell slots, but they also require an extensive planning beforehand. I mean, not Hellish Rebuke, that is legit. Or Counterspell. Well, yeah, they're both uh, reactionary, but um, that is why I don't want to give these guys more. Like, seeing their spell selection and how useful their spell selection is makes me want to
1: make sure they have less spell slots. Yeah, but keep in mind, your big bad at this point is going to get into a fight with you guys... And when the wizard goes first to cast Mm -hmm. Disintegrate, he goes, wow, counterspell. That's one. There is no fight now because he is invisible and he's running away. There's no fight there. That's not an encounter. He needs to be able to cast Hellish Rebuke okay. or to Misty Step Out or if, whatever. If right? it is your big bad, if
2: this is a that's named duante, then sure. I'm not giving the run-of-the-mill random no. malison
1: multiple no. spells. No no, 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 Hell fucking no. No, your BBEG, your big bad yes, evil guy. then I agree yes. with you. That's what I I'm saying. I agree with you, yeah. When your bad guy levels with them. I, I do that shit
2: with all my big bad evil guys. It doesn't matter if they're a human fighter. They're suddenly going to attack like... They, they get four rounds of attacks when your normal fighter gets three, right? They are they're they are Dungeon Masters do better. not
1: have to play by the rules.
2: Yes, I get you. But I would not do that to the random no. foot soldier that no, they no, no, come across no, no. as a random
1: encounter. Hell well, no. The Monster Manual, Volo's Guide, and most of Mordenkainen's, they are not giving us single individual creatures, right? I mean, there's the Tarrasque, and there's only one. The crocoktoic there's only one. Right? There's a named demon lords and arch devils. There's only one of each of them. Yeah. But other than that, this is the standard stat block. And I will adjust it up and down. One of the things that I'm going to start doing now is rolling within the range of hit points. So sometimes one guard will go down easy and the other guard will stay up for three more rounds. Just to add that variety in it. Oh, yeah. Because these are standard stat blocks. Yep. Terry's big thing recently has been give them different weapons. And why the fuck not? Well, we say this all the time, right? Like...
2: Understand how understanding how the stat blocks are made, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this big deep yeah. dive. Understanding how the stat blocks are made and the the um the intelligence, like the 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 reason for it all, the process of it, helps make these decisions. It an AC is that because it has a shield. If it drops the shield, that's going to affect its AC straight across, right? I mean, here's another thing that they get: they get this vampiric touch and they have snake arms. Yeah. So. It doesn't explicitly say that the snake arms are latching on and sucking life force out, but the snake on the snake arms are latching on and sucking a little bit of that life force out. Oh, I think so. Right? And, yeah. Like, come on, guys, and
1: healing them because they're drinking blood. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's that's fun. Just to rewind for a second, I'm going to give my abomination a shield. There's no reason why not. Oh yeah. So he's not going to be able to do spell casting. That's fine. I give him warcaster. <laughs> Fuck, why not? But no, but your standard whatever. I will give him a shield plus two AC. A little bit scarier now. Fuck. I you know what. Anytime I have a big
2: wizard casting big bad evil guy or just a just a villain, he's not even yeah. like. And they get warcaster. The look of betrayal on your player's face when they like walk out of the threat range and he goes, "Okay, well, fireball or something." I don't or even, need to disintegrate. I don't Sure.
1: Even, <laughs> I don't even need to give him warcaster. You know what I'm going to do? The shield is a spell focus. Oh, very nice. All right, so let's talk about the last thing, Mershok's slumber. This is that sleep ability that I am looking for in my monster. Okay. This does not have the count the number of hit points. It's just you five and go. Mm-hmm. Make your save or don't. And when you go down, you have to be woken up. I do like that it says specifically you have to be, you have to take damage or be shaken or slapped specifically it says slap which is a lot of get bad. the fuck up yeah so <laughs> a lot of fun yeah. i like it but not the uh this this is what sleep spells should be for my monsters I, I i'm with you i mean i do
2: like the sleep spell we have i just i do we've had that discussion before i think people sleep on it but they i'm awfully tired of your jokes Dan. i could be kind of exhausting i get it or putting this to bed
1: are we going to take a rest now I'm ready to go for the next hour on this, Dan, if you would like, but we've got a fucking podcast to do, and we're clocking in an hour too many already. All right, cool, cool. So I'm going to move along to talk to Dave, who's in Kabara, which is in Eberron, and he is covering the anathema. Now, I have to say, Dave said, how do you pronounce this? And before I had done my research and talked to you, um, anathema is a real word that essentially means xenophobe. For The most part, it, that's not exactly right, but I, I, okay. But I thought that it was Anaconda, like Anna. Oh, oh,
2: it was and, similar to Anaconda. Yeah. I'm like,
1: no, there's not a C in this, Adam. <laughs> I'm looking at a C right now, Dan. But the other thing, too, is that I'd been reading a bunch of Greek mythology, and so I saw Athena and Athema. So I told him it's pronounced Anathena or Anathema. And so he's going to pronounce this wrong the whole time. That's my fault, not Dave. Don't give him shit.
2: Okay. It, But just for clarity, anathema. Anathema. Yeah.
0: Hey, guys. Dave again. Uh, still hanging out here in uh, Kabara. And I just wanted to continue talking about these uh, Yuan-T that I've come across. Now, I've learned of this new kind that maybe you guys have heard of, but I never have. And that's called the Yuan-T anathema. Okay. Now, these things are, are very, very rare. You don't come across these every day. And, I mean, they, they, they're ridiculous-looking things. They, they look like abominations, but bigger, okay? They've got big, clawed hands. They've got six heads. Now, each anathema is the product of a unique ritual that alters its original abomination form, uh, making it bigger, more powerful, and a little bit smarter. The other yuan treat anathemas like demigods, and they naturally kind of assume positions of power and leadership uh, throughout the surrounding area. Uh, now, an anathema has an aggressive presence, okay? They will bring transformation to UNT settlements, and they will push them to become uh, more warlike, and, and, you know, they expand quite rapidly uh, under an anathema's uh, control. The anathema will direct the UNT to wage small-scale wars against other humanoids, uh, and, I mean, they usually do this... Uh, through cults and and allied creatures. Now, again, this is maybe where your UNT Purebloods are going to come in. They will have taken uh, or gained control of uh, a particular uh, village or group of people. Uh, Remember, they like to infiltrate, and maybe they can use these people to to further the Anathema's uh, objectives, right? Now, they do use these skirmishes and so on to, you know, not just expand, but to, to gather resources uh, and slaves and everything it needs to solidify itself as the ruler of the region. A Yuan-Ti Abominations quest for uh, godhood might lead it to this ritual. If the ritual is successful, it will transform into this anathema. The ritual itself demands the sacrifice of hundreds of stakes and requires the abomination to bathe in the blood of its enemies. It is a quick transformation, but it is apparently quite painful. Uh, now, this is not something that all yuan are eager to see one of their own people become. The anathemas are going to subjugate anything it feels is lesser than them, which is going to be most other yuan Now, an anathema will consider itself to be a demigod that's on its path to, to godhood, essentially. And it demands obedience from those weaker than it. Uh, This is why they will use the resources they have to subjugate those around it. They think that they're the biggest and best, so therefore they're going to use the smallest and worst to further their agenda and make them actually, make the anathemas better in result. Now, the most loyal followers of an anathema uh, see it as like the, the highest point in serpentine form. It is an absolutely unbelievable improvement on the abomination that it once was. The anathema will also have other kinds of followers. Now, the human followers will think of them as being divine flesh in a, in a mortal body, uh, and the cultists that will serve the anathema tend to be more bloodthirsty and self-sacrificing in its presence, okay? Now, anathemas are also kind of immortal. Uh, they don't age, and that allows them to kind of just keep pursuing what they're going after. So self-preservation might be important to these guys because they know they're not going to die of old age, so they got time to play the long game, right? Now, only the, the really powerful anathemas are going to grow big enough and strong enough uh, and have enough influence to rule multiple yuan cities, and, I mean, they could eventually bring entire regions, uh, including humanoid realms, under yuan control. Alright, now, their stats, I mean, they got a lot of them, okay, so this is a big stat block. They are a huge monstrosity in their neutral evil. Uh, their AC is actually pretty small, or pretty pretty low, it's a 16, considering uh, how powerful these guys are. They do have 18 d12 plus 72 hit points. They got a, a speed of 40 feet, a climb of 30 feet, and a swim of 30 feet, okay? Uh, Now, I don't normally break down what all of their abilities are, but I think this is actually important on these ones. Their strength is a 23, their dex is a 13, con is a 19, intelligence is a 19, wisdom is a 17, and charisma is a 20. The weakest these guys are are dex at a 13, and then next is wisdom at a 17. These guys have some crazy, crazy abilities. Uh, Now their skills, their perception is a plus 7, stealth is a plus 5. They do have resistance to uh, acid, fire, and lightning, and they are immune to poison and the poisoned condition. They do have Blindsight out to 30 feet and dark vision of 60 feet. Their passive perception is 17. They do speak Abyssal, Common, and Draconic, and these guys are a CR 12, which will be apparent in a second here. When they are in their anathema form, they can cast spells. Uh, Their spellcasting ability is Charisma, so the save is a DC 17. It can innately cast the following spells, at will, animal friendship for snakes only, and three a day each for darkness, entangle, fear, haste, suggestion, and polymorph. It also gets divine word once a day. These things do have magic resistance, so they get advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. That's important uh, because when you've got your, you know, tier three party coming against these guys, your is gonna be able to throw some stuff, but how many of those require saves? Like, that's big, you can take a big part of that out and that kind of balances it, right? Like, that makes the, the CR12 a little more daunting. They also have Ophidiophobia Aura as an ability, all right? So what that means is that the Anathema can choose a creature that isn't a snake or a U on T, that's within 30 feet of it, uh, that can see or hear it. They can choose to make it make a DC 17 wisdom save or it becomes frightened of snakes and Yuan-Ti. A frightened target can repeat the save at the end of each of its turns, ending the effect on a a success. If a target's saving throw is successful or the effect ends for it, the target is immune to this aura for the next 24 hours. Alright, so that's kind of neat too. Uh, It's also a mouthful to say, Ophidiophobia Aura. Uh, Now they also get the Shape Changer ability. The Anathema can use its action to polymorph into a huge, giant constrictor snake or it can use an action to get back into its anathema form. Its statistics are the same in each form, and any equipment it is wearing or carrying is not transformed. So like I said, these guys do have six heads. The anathema therefore does get advantage on wisdom uh, checks, more specifically perception, and on saving throws against being blinded, charmed, deafened, frightened, stunned, or knocked unconscious. Alright, that's, uh, that's a lot that it's immune to, or not immune to, but gets advantage to. For its actions, it gets a multi-attack, but only in its anathema form. Uh, the anathema makes two claw attacks, one constrict attack, and one flurry of bites attack. Now again, this is only in the anathema form, much like its claw attack, okay? So it is a melee weapon attack, it's a plus 10 to hit, but it does get 10 feet of reach. It does uh, 2d6 plus 6 slashing damage, which is, is okay, right? But it's going to be the, the culmination of all of these that are really going to pack a punch. Next, it gets Constrict, which is it can do in either the Giant Constrictor or the Anathema form. That is a melee weapon attack. It is also a plus 10 to hit, but it gets 15 feet of reach. Uh, What it does is uh, one target that is large or smaller is hit with this, and it uh, again, plus 10 to hit. It does 3d6 plus 6 bludgeoning damage, plus 2d6 acid damage, and the target is grappled with an escape DC of 16. Until the grapple ends, the target is restrained and takes 3d6 plus 6 bludgeoning damage, plus 2d6 acid damage at the start of each of its turns, and the anathema can't constrict another target okay so can only do it to one it also gets a flurry of bites which is a melee weapon attack it's a plus 10 to hit reach reaches 10 feet and it can hit one creature for 6d6 plus six piercing damage plus 4d6 poison damage so this i'm imagining is all six heads coming down to bite and doing uh you know various amounts of small damage six heads 66 plus 6 piercing. It makes sense to me. This thing is going to slash with its claws, bite with all of its heads, and then try to wrap you up. Uh, again, I like how these guys have the different ranges as well. The claws are 10 feet, uh, the bite is 10 feet, but the constrict is 15. So uh, you can kind of spread this out a little bit on the battlefield. Uh, a 15 foot reach is not exactly the most common thing you're going to find in 5th ed. All right, so these guys are, are pretty powerful. They're, they're not your average run-of-the-mill snake person. I would use these guys as a big bad guy or uh, maybe have a couple of them as the you know lieutenant or lead up to the big bad guy in a tier three or four campaign that's about to finish. Uh, I wouldn't just use these guys willy nilly. Uh, These guys also have a lot of potential to be your big bad guy at the end of a one shot. They're a CR 12, get a CR 10 party and throw them against it. It'll be difficult, but they'll be able to manage it probably. Which, I mean, kind of sounds like their problem. But make no mistake, these guys are special. You're not going to run into these in the middle of a forest. I mean, these guys, these are what the, the big statues in the snake temple are, right? They're going to be statues of the anathemas. These things are going to have a, a sort of a presence to them that is revered by other snakes. Or, or, or Yuan-Ti. Uh, these things are, like I said, these things are special. Use them accordingly because they deserve better than that. These things have so many conditions and immunities and advantages on rolls and different kind of attacks. These things are really one of a kind and use them accordingly is what I'm getting at. Uh, Anyways, I'm going to send it back to Adam and Dan. Uh, If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can reach out to me at the uh, subreddit r slash it's a mimic and I will talk to you guys next time.
1: I think it's really cool to have an abomination power up to become one of these huge creatures. I love that they're strong, powerful, and effective leaders with delusions of godhood, but the other UNT don't necessarily want one around. It's also a shit ton of fun that it doesn't age.
2: Yeah. Like this this could be your big bad evil guy.
1: I also like the idea of maybe they are slumbering.
2: Oh. Okay. Like they they are what is at the top of the pyramid.
1: Yeah, or, or the UNT have gone up into the mountains because the anathema ended up in the mountains for whatever reason 7,000 years ago and is asleep under the ice, and they're going to pull it back down. Oh, that's badass. So... Can I just say one thing, Adam? I don't think I could stop you, Dan. Yay, auras. Okay, can I just say yay, polymorph? Right, like... Uh, that. The
2: anathema is the kind of monster I want in D&D 5e. I love the fear effect of the Ophidiophobia. Ophidiophobia, yeah. Oh, I said it right in the first time. That's yeah. the one that you get. <laughs> Ura.
1: And first of all, I miss Uras in D&D. You call them Uras? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you can say Ophidiophobia? But oh, you can't, so I'm all right. Um, the fact that you could try to shake it
2: at the end of your next turn, though, is intense
1: yeah you're you're fucked like, yeah the, this is the second cool fear effect that we're talking about this episode yeah so i'm a big fan but let me compound this insanity even further your party of four runs in and sees this thing and everyone except the cleric fails their save and becomes frightened of you one t and snakes and on the anathema's next turn what does it do it casts polymorph and turns the cleric into a snake. <laughs> hey, guys. This,
0: guys, fight you running away, guys? This has <laughs> got to be my new
1: favorite way to split a party.
2: I am so
0: excited about this.
2: I have a question. Yeah. Um. Because I don't have polymorph in front of me here. I do know that you, uh, true polymorph, you retain your mental capabilities. Yeah. Right? And your memories.
1: No, no. Polymorph, you are a... You're- you
2: turn into that thing.
1: Yeah.
2: Um. So this is a cleric just suddenly going, I am a snake now. Or I'm on you on And my friends are running away. Yeah. Like, would he understand that he is, in fact, a snake now, and that is why they're no, running
1: no, away? No, 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 no. You don't understand. The cleric sits there and says, oh, guys, don't be afraid. And everybody else runs away, and he stands there and goes, because now he's a snake. And he slithers off to the left. He goes into one of these little holes to get into the next room. Yeah. And then suddenly polymorph ends. And Squish, you don't have a cleric anymore. Returns to regular size inside a tiny hole. Well, Polymorph lasts a long-ass time, too. Not if you drop it. Oh, my God. That is an instant kill on a cleric. No save, no nothing. Nope, just... You're done. That is how I take care of my pesky cleric.
2: I mean, that's kind of...
1: Actually, that's how I get rid of my fucking paladin, who has been boosting everybody else's saves. It's a dick move, but frankly, paladins are dicks, so... (laughs) Anyway, um, I just want to point out... The multi-attack of the anathema is absolutely freaking crazy. Uh-huh. Two claws, constrict and flurry of bites every round. When you add a couple of henchmen, the action economy is going to turn against the party really quickly. I don't need to murder a cleric like this. No. It's going to be relatively easy. These guys are CR 12, I think. Um and they will live up to that. You will end up with this with the 15 level party. This
2: this this is the same problem with like the Merilith. Just the overwhelming wave of attacks.
1: Yeah. And when you start to add on, considering the longbow attacks as well, which do poison damage and like, your party's pretty fucked. Yeah. In this big battle. Right. I I want to now fight the nightmare speaker, the mind whisperer that was doing that, all that crazy shit. Um, and giving them extra warlock spells. When I want to do that instead of fight one of these guys.
2: Yeah, I'm on board with that.
1: So before we move on, Dan, yeah. anything else you want to add? Uh nah man, I mean we have
2: spent two episodes talking about one of my favorite threats to throw at a party.
1: I'm not kidding. Yuan T were my least favorite. Really. really? We sat down and said we're gonna do all the mob episodes, I went, oh fuck. And I guess you Man, my mind has been changed.
2: Oh uh, that's me and Drow. I can't stand Drow. Like, just for you want and Yuan T is really reinforced. Is that because you're pro-patriarchy, Dan? What is this? No, it's not cuz I'm pro patriarchy. It's that Drow have been the big bad evil guy of Dungeons and Dragons for so long that they need a break. Right? Like it's it's just you fight Drow. I have multiple multiple DM screens designs that strongly feature Drow. One of them's on my wall right now.
1: Yeah, no. Right? I, like I get it. They're a little they're a little overdone. It's nice to see the Ninja Turtles fight something besides the Foot Soldiers, the no. Foot Clan. Yeah, right. So I'm like, eh, sure. Like, I get that you're done with Drow. Fifth Ed did a really cool thing with Drow. That I, yeah, that's true too. But no, Unt for me were just kind of boring Snake Cult. There's a lot of fun shit to do with this, and I will be playing with them in the future.
2: Yeah, especially especially the body horror. Yeah, I like the body horror is really attractive for me as a DM to play with. Anyways. I want to thank absolutely everybody who helped put this together. Um, we miss having guys in this room. I've been talking to a few of the guys who are just like itching to get back in this room and and record together. Um, but what we do hope is that while you're not here, you are staying safe and you're happy. Like I understand that there's a little bit of COVID burnout right now. Stay strong. Stay safe. Stay happy. We love you. We miss you.
1: Yep, and for everybody else out there, we love you guys too. And you can reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, our slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. We do love hearing from you guys. And there are like our dozen or so active people that are that are getting involved. But whether or not you're you're checking out the YouTube playlists or whatever it is, reach out, send us comments. We love interacting with you guys. You can also get a hold of us through our email at info at itsamimic.com and uh any questions that you guys have for us, uh, put it right in your message to us. Hey, add this to the mailbag. If You you can either go to the uh, thread that's on Reddit or you can just hit us up in any of the other ways and let us know to add this. I I stay pretty up to date on that. Yeah. We already have the next... Uh, 68 questions locked and loaded. Something like that, yeah. And we only ever do 20 in episodes, so... The thing that I will say is sometimes uh, we've had a couple
2: mailbag episodes where we're like, well, this question was asked two and a half years ago. We are getting to the point where, like... Ar- there are
1: still, like, two or three on there that were original questions. Yeah, yeah,
2: right. So if this is a pressing issue, go to the subreddit...
1: Yeah, and, and ask say
2: directly. Guys, I need an answer to this question. What blank, right? And... I know Adam's active on it. I am somewhat active on it. I know Jeff and Brad and Dave are all active on the subreddit as well. So if you we're want We're going
1: to teach Terry what Reddit is one of these days. I, I don't think we're going to. Oh, we'll try. Because there's there's
2: places in Reddit we don't want Terry to go. You're not wrong. Jesus <laughs> Christ. So reach out to us on the subreddit and, and we will if it's a pressing concern, we'll get to you on it.
1: All right, Dan. Now Let's look at what we're going to do now for... um, All right, Dan. Let's look at the implications of the societal structure and the way that you would build encounters and stuff now with these four new creatures that we've spoken about today. Let's do it. I got a 10. I got a fitting.
2: All right. So what are you saying, Adam?
1: (sighs) Honestly, these guys are all going to be high level. Yep. They're kind of fun. They're they're interesting to play with. I'm not showcasing them until the end of my UNT campaign. You're going to hear the names of these creatures before you run into them. Okay. Um, I'm not dropping any of these guys. Despite the fact that it's like oh, it's a CR4. You're not going to run into them until level 7 because they're going to be surrounded by people. That's the other thing I'm doing with UNT is they're always moving in groups. Yes, yeah. Or they are spies and you're not going to get in a solo fight. Right, you're going to have to try really hard to go one-on-one with these guys. you got to think,
2: like, James Bond and uh, Jason Bourne yeah. are very impressive solo combatants. But if a situation's too much for them, they They know, call in the army. They call in the army and yep. they run. Yep. Right? These guys are going to be the same.
1: And that's something that I, I really want to look at with the UNT. It's It's a balancing act for a dungeon master to be able to have your bad guy be a good spy who is good enough to be effective but bad enough that the players know about it. Mm-hmm. That's a hard line to walk and it takes quite a bit of meticulous planning ahead of time or luck. Or luck. But I am when I'm in the UNT uh city when I'm in their civilization when I'm in one of the cultist um one of the cultist areas as well like the little um Cult headquarters that's, yeah, sure. that's in yeah. another city and whatnot. You're not going to run into these guys everywhere. The Anathema, the Mind Whisperer, the Pitmaster. These guys are out doing their own yeah. thing. You'll And they should just blend in with other Malisons. Mm-hmm. Until. Yeah. Right? And that's something that I really want to stress. Treat these guys as Malisons until they need to pull off their one big badass move. Which reveals that there's something more going on here. I really like that. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that one. I would also have these are going to be the ones that are doing the, the rituals at the top of the pyramids. The way I would run them is um, I
2: mentioned last episode and a little bit here that I really like this idea of um, playing into like a Game of Thrones level political nonsense and having each of these guys being the helm of their own little sections in the city-states and vying against each other.
1: Yeah, you've really got the idea that there are three main
2: gods and... Thus, three main religions, and they need to get along with each other. Or rather, three main cults. They need to get along with each other. But at the same time, there is some under-the-surface backstabbing, scheming, plotting happening between
1: them. Remember, if our god gets appeased then we get more power. Yeah. If their God gets appeased, we, we may... get less power. Yeah,
2: so. Right? So there's going to be a little bit of this political intrigue in. And I would not say that all of the ones who worship Dendar are the snake-headed ones. And all of the ones who
1: worship no, Seth it, are... Like, I'm not doing that. What I mean, I, I mean, shit, you can. It is kind of built into it, but you don't have to. But when it comes to
2: the representative of that faith, they have to be that type. Just
5: full stop.
1: Yeah, and they'll be the Mind Whisperer. When you see the um, carvings on the temple wall of Dendar, Dendar has got to be, she has got to look like the Mind Whisperer. Yes, yeah. Sorry, not the Mind Whisperer, the Nightmare Speaker, right? Um, And like the biggest, best version of them.
2: The other thing I want to say, the other implication here is, like this Anathema is the, be all end all of Yuan society right and,
1: and literally end all because these guys do subjugate other Yuan well one of these crops up in a city that city no longer gets to worship anything else the anathema
2: i think it is a hidden subtext here in the in the um in what we've read that the anathema is the amalgamation of all of the favor of all three of these gods and whatever other Uh, objects of worship in the society have flooded into this one incredibly powerful abomination to create the anathema and i will play into that hard each of these three is going to come up with their own things that they're building for a ritual to create a thing that gives them a boost over the other um, cult. The other snake cult, right? What they don't know is they're each gathering an equal third of the ritual and at the end when they all get it, an anathema is created and now they have to deal with it. I just I freaking love that this can happen as a um okay guys, we're going to have a extended summer break. Um, we're going to do this campaign over the spring. I'm going to reveal that the anathema is spawned We're going to take a month off and we'll see you guys again in August where we will, you know, have to deal with what happens to a UNT society that is now under the subjugation. And we come back two weeks later.
1: Right? Well, sure. The other thing, too, is I don't necessarily agree that the anathema needs to be the amalgamation of all three gods. I don't think it needs to be, but it can be. It can be. I also like the idea of there being three abominations at the head of their faiths. Each one is vying for that power. First one to get it. Will yeah. rule, and the other two will be similar, summarily executed and consumed and eaten. Yeah. Right? So, um, <laughs> give me shit for making up words, and you just said "eaten." You damn right I did. <laughs> so, um, one of the last things that I want to get into is there is a chart in Volos, like there is in, in all of these other mobs that, sure. that are covered, which talks about allies and minions. Okay. Now, we've spoken a little bit about the humans that are there. And, of course, snakes are a big factor. Um, there are two different charts, though, for these guys. One of them is the agents, which include cultists, cult fanatics, doppelgangers. Oh. You see doppelgangers on a lot of these lists, and I disagree hard with that. I don't like doppelgangers hanging out with Yuan-T. makes no sense to me why doppelgangers would bother to do that. Yuan-T would like to have them. It's just because they went spy things. Okay, what are we going to have? Kind as a- of, yeah, and I don't like it. But then you get NPC stat blocks like guards, nobles, priests, scouts, and spies. But I'm not... There is no UNT on um, breakdown in the DMG about how to apply the UNT template to these like there is for... It's weird, for ups. Yeah. It's odd that that's missing. There's no way to do that. So I've got to kind of homebrew this myself or just straight up use. What I would do is I will use the scout template or the noble template. Until they are revealed to be a pure blood, and then they get the pure blood stat block. Yeah, okay. Um, but then you also get UNT protectors. Okay. Now protectors are just going to be things that will guard other things within their society because it's not like they're marching armies necessarily. Mm-mm. You do get things like bandit captains and bandits because you do that all of the time and every one of these. And again, I'm gonna make them pure bloods. It says specifically to use those stat blocks yeah. for bandit captains and bandits, but I'm going to still make them pure blood. They will carry scimitars. They will have forked tongues and that shit.
2: Either that or they themselves are like a snake-themed bandit troop.
1: Sure, yeah. Same thing with the cult fanatics and cultists, right? Um, you get constrictor snakes, of course, giant snakes, right? Um, sure. But, uh, your poisonous snakes, sure. All that regular shit. Um, priests and and swarms of snakes. And it, if it says
2: and, the word snake, it's in.
1: Yeah. Um, no negas. Yeah. Okay. However, basilisks are on the table.
2: I'm I'm on board with that.
1: Yep. Uh, flying snakes. I said already. Hydras are on the table. Oh uh, yes, hundred percent. Medusas uh, f- uh, on the nose, but sure. I would I would absolutely not do that. I would take the Medusa stat block. And I would just make it a freaking snake-headed creature. Sure. I'm going to reskin it. It'll be a Medusa stat block, but I will reskin it. I just don't like it. That mashes shit together too much. I want to say,
2: the reason why the Basilisk makes so much sense in this list, the D&D 5e Basilisk doesn't. Basilisk lore outside of D&D really does, which is why I'm okay with it. Because the Basilisk straight up was a snake creature.
1: Yes. No, I know right. That.
2: In in this, it's kind of just like a multi-legged um lizard. Lizard. Yeah. Right? Uh it uh, like a multi-legged crocodile of sorts, and I'm not on board with that. Um uh, I miss I, I would have it be more of a snake it would if there's a basilisk guardian involved with the Yuanti, it is definitely far more snake like. Sure. And look at your Greek mythology to see. What that was like.
1: Or the Chamber of Secrets. Or the Chamber of Secrets, yeah. Um, also, you get skeletons, zombies, and mummies. But specifically, it says the mummies are the undead remains of UNT Malisons and Pure Bloods. But each has a statistic of a normal mummy. A mummy with snake arms. Sure. You'll notice abominations are not included in that. I assume abominations are consumed. Oh, okay. So, then we get to some of the weird ones. Stone
2: golems. Uh, that tracks with their society and 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 the feel. I, I I'm okay
1: with stone golems. Are you? Yes. Just because they're they got lots of statues and stuff around, yeah. so they would. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you do get things like 4d10 um, tribal warriors. You get veterans and priests on the list as well. You are supposed to use these NPC stat blocks, but I would really, really, really look at grabbing two or three of the pureblood traits and applying them to the stat block and just assuming that they've got a little extra oomph to them. Yeah, the, these,
2: these are basically low-level, still-in-training purebloods.
1: Yeah, and of course, you have guards, gladiators, and that kind of shit as well. Cool. Um, I, ugh, fuck, I just don't like Medusa as, as part of it. I don't even really like Hydras as part of it, as a general rule. Oh, I I would say Hydra. There is a Hydra. And I w- the only reason that I would include it at all is because I would have it be the anathema. Well, like, well, and that's the thing, right? Like,
2: you know how earlier you said uh, that you would have these three anathema who are vying for power, and then they are consumed. Maybe they're not consumed. Maybe they just become
1: Hydra. No, no, no. I, I said three abominations have become a... Uh, well, I, oh, yeah. oh, and it trans- right. transforms the others. into it, yeah.
2: bestial... It makes them more bestial. makes them lose their intelligence
1: like the Broodguard uh, brood does. Okay, Just on uh, a much larger scale. I'm cool with that. However, I'm going to dumb them down as Hydra and not have to be able to regenerate their heads. DMs out there, I, one, I would disagree with you for this very specific reason.
2: If your party interrupts the ritual which i mean that big climactic moment Your part and you interrupt the ritual for this one abomination to become an anathema and it's suc- like and they succeed in interrupting it make that abomination a big fuck off hydra
1: yeah look that's that's really fun like i just do not j- just want- be happy you're not playing and an- uh, fighting
2: against an anathema guys you get this thing it's gonna be a yeah. little easier. <laughs>
1: I just... I wouldn't give them the regenerating head. There's nothing in any UNT lore that says anything about regenerating anything. So I'm not going to do it. You need rituals to be able to do that level of healing and shit for, for anything of changing your body horror stuff. Now you become a Malison. Now you become a Broodguard. But it takes a huge ritual. There's lots of murders and sacrifices. They could heal up a Hydra if the Hydra gets away. I'd say if a
2: Hydra is ancient enough as well, they could have given it that ability like i i, I sure, see i see hydra kind of as like wmds that you want to have and they're like well okay shit we need to
1: well i like the idea of the one abomination becoming the anathema and then turning the other two abominations into these hydra and then having them as fucking guard dogs yeah right right but if i'm gonna do that you're fighting two hydra at once i'm not giving them the head like for cr12 Anathema. At the, By the time you're, you're running into these guys, you're mid tier three, two hydra, plus other UNT. I'm going to dumb them down a little bit just to make it a more palatable. Yeah, I mean that 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 tracks. But if you're a high
2: level party fighting against that one guy, it, it's going to be like the uh, the the mind whisper. The mind whisper. He's a CR four, right? Like he's he's got that little bit of weakness uh, weaker part to him. With Theros, we have some very nice Hydras that have come into play into D&D. I'm going to use them here, man. Like, if if I want to pull something from Theros and put it in a UNT campaign, I'm pulling Hydras. Yeah. Another thing you could go into and in looking from Theros is the Typhon.
1: They've also got a couple of cool other kind of Hydras in there as well.
2: Well, I mean, it's the Greek theme thing, so there's a lot of snake stuff happening. But, like, oh, You want to play snake campaigns and you want to put together a full UNT campaign? You have to. You are obligated to pick up Theros
1: because it's going to add some very interesting... Ravnica has some additional um, Medusas as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. So, anyway, um, let's let's wrap this up. Dan, do you have a campaign? One campaign idea that you want to... uh, Or plot hook that you want to dig into on this? Sure. I got a two. I got an eight. We've said it. We've said it a thousand times already. I'm getting into the intrigue, the the murder myth. I want the political scheming to yeah, go on, cool. but it's going to start with a murder. And there's going to be you, that have infiltrated. And there is a cult established in the city, but everybody loves them. Mm-hmm. And it is going to lead you through this murder mystery into the cult. And then you find out the government has been infiltrated. And now you have to chase someone deep into the jungle and that's when you end up in UNT society. And this whole thing has been um, meant to weaken the local city or whatever, the nearby city that you're from, the settlement, because an anathema is being raised. Like, that's... I've hit I've hit all yeah,
2: the notes, right?
4: Yeah.
1: For
2: me, um, for a full campaign, I like the... I understand the intrigue. I understand playing that part of the campaign. That doesn't really hold a lot of interest to me. This weird body horror, this otherworldliness, this um, society that patiently waits but has been crushed and cowed and forced into isolation, that intrigues me a lot more. So I'm looking at an Island of Chult-level jungle campaign where you are slowly... Discovering the location of the hidden temple of the Yuan T. And when you get there, you're going full on Indiana Jones with um traps and gigantic rolling boulders and rooms that collapse and poison darts and entire chambers just full of poisonous snakes that your party falls into. And at the very end of it all, you are working your way through it and you're working down and you find yourself in an inverted pyramid that is built into the ground and you're working your way down to this massive lower uh, um, sacrificial chamber like we saw at the peak of the pyramids but this one's of course at the bottom because that's inverted you have the yuan not necessarily raising an anathema but really diving into the fact that there is this god who is sleeping and they must awaken him And that is what they're trying to do. They're trying to awaken it. And then when he comes into the realm, I'm just going to use the Typhon. Because that thing is a beast of a fight. And having this, you know, open up onto this uh, plane of snakes, as in like a material plane of, like a a planar travel, just a realm of snakes where this thing exists. And it pulls the landscape into it. It's one of the far realms. Yeah, right? I friggin' love it. You could get really old gaudy with this. And now you have a problem with a warlock in the party who is an old god warlock who is actually secretly worshipping this guy the entire time and he doesn't even know it. It works, man. I love having this level of um, party fuckery with the archaeology and like this is traditional Dungeons and Dragons to me and it really appeals.
1: It's also traditional Call of Cthulhu. That too. All right. Well, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, I, I, I love you, Yeah, Yeah, this really did flip it for me. I, I'm a yeah. big fan. So um, we just want to say, Fangs, for listening. Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Anyway, well, that's going to be it for the uh, UNT in fifth edition. But we got lots of other kinds of mobs to cover. Don't forget to come back next week when we cover the mob that is not a mob. We start talking about the non-mobular mobs. The they're they're secular and they're and some of them aren't even mobs or solo we're anyway we're digging into lycanthropes sure modular yeah it's like modular but with mobs if you can do it for two episodes i could do it once dan sure anyway that's it for this episode of the it's mimic podcast if you'd like to support us you can head over to www.itsmimic.com and hit our donate button or go check out our store or please just tell your friends and the rest of your D party about the podcast. Uh, and uh, let them know that we're on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most of the podcast apps. Stay safe out there, and uh, have a s- special day. Ugh.
3: Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com.
4: Okay, real quick, I just want to touch on um, on some variations of snakes. We know that Yuan-Ti can turn into, some of them can turn into different variants of snakes. And this is important to note. You know, DMs, I think we get uh, we get so sucked into these fantastical creatures that we have in this world that the mundane beasts get overlooked. And really, this is an opportunity to be creative. It's an opportunity to be exciting for the players. But it's also important to know what you're talking about. You know, there's, there's a reason... That, uh, that you want would choose a particular type of snake. So, if we're, if we're just going to go with the constrictor snake, first of all, this is now a large beast. So, you've gone from a, maybe most likely a medium creature to a large creature. This is important with regards to space. If you're fighting in a tight area, if you're in uh, tunnels, if there's a smaller openings, if you're trying to restrict the movement of the players. Turning into a constrictor snake, which is a large beast, or even a giant constrictor snake, which is now huge, is restricting their movement. Also, some things will change with regards to your movement. So sticking with the constrictor snake, for example, you now have a swim speed of 30 feet. That may be important at times. You may think, well, why would I just turn into a mundane beast as we know it in our real world? Because things are going to change. This is also an opportunity for you to get creative with these mundane beasts as well. If you know you're playing a campaign which is going to be UNT heavy, that may be a chance to explore different types of homebrew snakes. And I don't mean coming up with these crazy, like, dragon snakes that are made of crystals and all this. It's just, if you can't find a stat block for a cobra or something more like an an adder or snakes that you kind of... I'm from the UK, that's why I said adder. Um, or snakes that you know you can you can be creative with this and you can either throw it out in session zero Or you can throw it out throughout the game if they come across, you know a less threatening say cobra enemy Guys you enjoy this, you know, you, you see what we're doing here I'm going to throw in different types of snakes for you that may be outside of the of the standard text Is this okay? And you know players will get excited by this type of stuff because Just because it's mundane as in it's in our world doesn't mean that it's boring. It can still be creative. Um, so so that's my permission to you to go out and, and make these different types of snakes, but also to understand the different types of stat blocks that you have in the books, because even though their hit points may be lower, even though they have fewer abilities, there will be something about them that makes it advantageous depending on the situation, whether it be size, swim speed, blind sight, constrictor snake has a blind sight of 10 feet, that may be important at certain times, so it's important to understand your beasts and your snake varieties if your uh, yuan ti creature has the ability to transform into them.
0: And cultists that serve in Anathema tend to be a little more bloodthirsty and saff. So, uh, uh, God damn, I can't nail this. The human followers of a anathema uh, are going to kind of think of this thing as the defu- of de- bleh, 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 bleh. human followers of an anath- Fuck off! Human followers of an anathema are going to think of it as divine flesh in a mortal. Fuck off! <sighs>
3: fuck. That was difficult. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. (laughs)
1: Okay, you're done, (laughs) Gary.